Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Start the show by having a really candid moment. Brian just farted audibly <laughs> and aggressively. I don't know if you can prove that. <laughs> audibly <laughs> and aggressively. Thing, like know? one of these like, Wah, The thing is, Luke, you got to get out the, the the exhaust, you know, to move forward in life. You got to get the let the shit out and, and uh, you know. I did. I just did it in the commode. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Morning Combat. This is a fun show where we talk about very serious topics. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. That is Brian Campbell. We are not in Connecticut. We are not in Washington, D.C. We are in the swamps of Jersey City yeah. here in studio for today. We have a lot of stuff to get to today, not just the show itself, but some of the stuff we're recording. So I'm pretty excited, BC. I'm really you? excited. You know, Did you drive yourself in today? I did. Heavy, heavy traffic, heavy traffic. Why did you drive yourself? Because I got to leave from here and go uh, to the oh, first showbox right. card of the year. Right? Yeah. Shout out to Methlehem, as you call it, right? Bethlehem, <laughs> PA. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, looking forward to that. But, look, we are better together in person. There's nothing like the MK Live studio experience because, like the Pride days... Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Ten minute first rounds, you just never know. Yeah. People doing drugs, who cares? Uh, we have a lot. Did you to see that to... bottle of, of whiskey that we had in the green room? I did see it. I did see it. Yeah. Uh, it's thick as shit, right? It's the thickest. Um, yeah, yeah. So today we'll get to Francis Ngannou. I know spoke out yesterday in an interview with Ariel Hawani about all of his negotiations with the UFC and what happened and what he asked for, what it all means. We're going to start the show talking about that. Then we're going to get you ready for UFC 283, which of course the pay per view is this Saturday. And BC and I were talking about this before the show. If you just look at the main event, does it really, you know, blow your skirt up? No. But the co-main event, first quadrilogy in UFC history, and BC, down the rest of that card, some pretty sick matchups, actually. Some some pretty sick storylines, uh, a lot of Brazil. We'll get into that once the card happens. But this is like the ultimate Brazilian fans show, yeah. which just happens to be in Brazil, by the way. So a lot going on there. Looking forward to that. Uh, I missed the chance of, ooh, vai morrer. I'm, I'm curious to what is that? What does that translate to? That's what the Brazilian crowd translates to anyone not Brazilian. It means you're going to die. Oh, so if they put gringo in front of that, I would understand a little bit better. Yeah, vai, well, uh, you're going to morrer, M-O-R-R-E-R. Is die. calling pale white people honkies a, like, what is that? Is that a Latin American thing? Is it a Mexican Gringos? thing? Gringos? Yeah, you just call them gringos. So I am told, I don't think this is actually true. I am told that they would call any American a gringo. So okay. uh, Gaff would be a gringo, even though he's black or something else like that. But I, it seems quite interchangeable with white. I have to yeah. tell you, I, 
<laughs> I don't see it applied more often than that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Um, uh, and then uh, we have some matchups to get to as well as some um, news and notes. Yeah. Um, and we're like you said, we're going to shoot a lot of really fun shit right here after yeah. this goes down. We've got a resume review we've got to shoot. That's right. And Chuck Mendenhall is going to be here later as well, too. So that's so, going to be a lot uh, of fun. What a, what a nice day. Man. What a time. But I forgot um, my glasses like a fucking idiot. Um, okay. I'm sure we got stagehands. we got you know, Jake Von Amsterdam. Yeah, that, right there. You think I want him digging in my bag and just finger banging my bag? <laughs> He's no, like, do you, you want the Delta 8s or 9, boss? Which ones? You know. <laughs> uh, those are in my tummy. All right. So let's see. What else we have to do here today? Well, thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, hit subscribe if you haven't already. I got an interview coming out with Brennan Ward, who's going to be fighting on the opener on the CBS card. February 4th. I don't know if I could call him the king of Connecticut because that, that throne is taken. But, it is. But he is Connecticut royalty. He is Connecticut royalty. And in fact, he's from Waterbury, Connecticut. And I asked no, him. No, Waterford. Waterford? I thought it was Waterbury, Connecticut. No, no. I grew up next to Waterbury, Connecticut. That's one of the dirtiest cities in this country, okay, okay in, in terms of every category. I, I could be right. I, I certainly defer to you, the expert on this. And I asked him, though. We, we did put we put Naugatuck to the test. And I was like, how is Naugatuck? And, um, oh, I can't wait to hear this. It's an interesting answer. It's an interesting <laughs> Turns answer. Turns out it's nubs, huh? Turns out it's some shit. Uh, it's going to be good to hear from that. So we'll, you can check that out on the YouTube channel as well. Oh, 2823. 2823? Yeah. Uh, Biggest date in this show's history. You're going to want to. You know, oh, that's right. We're going to be in London. Right into We're going to be in London. When the fuck are we announcing these guests, by the way? What I think is, the, I think the bookers are still booking, you know what I mean? But we're close. We, I we, know that the people who said yes said yes like two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, it's a slow process. I don't you know, quite understand. But it's okay. Like, it's like divorce. It takes years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it as the child of divorced parents. Uh, so you can get tickets still. Pod-live.com if you're listening on the audio podcast, or you can just put your phone up right there on the screen if you're watching on the video. Get the QR code. Come see us. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We do have guests to announce, I guess, soon. But I have ideas creatively for that show that that just keep, I think, going over the head of our staff. You know. By the way, I meant to tell you. I don't think they appreciate them fully. They appreciate them, but remember, we're not booking a random venue. We're at we're, we're at someone else's house, so to speak. So there's a little bit of rules about decorum. But I will say this. I had a British guy write me. I'm assuming he's British because it had the thing. But he was like— I don't think we need to identify those people anymore by their origin. Like, well, it's relevant in this sense. UK plus, baby. British it's, Isles. It's, let's do it. UK <laughs> what he said to me was, he goes, there's a lot of Brits who are mad at you talking about me with by saying that there's like a lot of bad yes, food in England. Yes. I'm sorry. There's a lot of bad food in England. If you think that like— How many times have you been to England? Uh, this will be the fourth. Oh shit! Have you spent like a week there? Like I've spent. I've, the longest I spent in England was three weeks. Oh three my weeks. god! Oh, then you then you can speak from a certain level of experience. A little bit. I mean, the last time I was there though was two thousand four, so it's okay. been a I while. I thought this was like an ignorant two day tour, like on your way to bandwagoning Real Madrid. No, no, you no, 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 no. My brother lived in London, and then we had family friends who lived there in London when I was a kid. So we actually visited uh, the, again two times with them, and then once with my brother. Um, but in any case, he was like, uh, some of the Brits are mad at you for saying that the food in London is bad. He goes, I just want you to know you're absolutely right, and uh, I totally agree. But what he did say was, and he's right, London is so big, and it's <laughs> London is a world-class city, Yeah. so it's got to have good food. It does have good food. He listed me all the cool places you and I should go to. So I want to keep a, a shout-out shout to that guy. All uh, right. So come see us on February 8th How's so we can insult English scene? food more. Huh? How's their Delta scene? I don't know. How is – folks, here's the show. You can email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com, right? That's how you reach the show. How is the Delta 8 scene in London? We're just asking for friends. We don't really need to know, you know, but if you did know, you could tell us how good that By is. By the way, very underreported story that contraband was delivered to us at the – to me at the Vegas live show by a, by a fan. 
Who had the contraband? This guy had like this satchel of giant homemade brownies. Oh, that's right. Like, that's you know, right. like properly sealed in, in Tupperware and everything. And, um, you think the guy who made Land Jaeger just in them? <laughs> I'd take the risk for these brownies because they were they were spectacular. Uh, I bet they were. And then let's see. Uh, you can go to Showtime. You can check it out for free. Showtime's label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com again. 30 days free. If you like it, you can keep it and listen to this. How about this? $3.99 a month for the first six of the months that you have it. Again, not just Bellator, not just boxing, everything yeah. on Showtime. Showbox Friday, let's do this thing, okay? It's going to be a good time, so don't miss out on that. Oh, uh, Lane Yeager was the dude who owned, his family owned that, uh, Michael Chiesa's Yes, butcher. Michael Chiesa knew him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What am I forgetting? Oh, merch. Check this out. We all got merch on today. I got my morning combat jacket. What do you have? You have the hoodie? I got the hat, the hoodie, the, the coffee mug. Um, not wearing the underwear at the moment, but I have, you know, that, that's happened before. Well, I mean, it's whatever color it was, it's brown now. <laughs> It started that. off with two white men on my ass, you know, in terms of faces. I mean, and, uh, I know that. Yeah. Uh, all right, BC, you ready to get this show started? Did I miss anything else? Are you trying to say my dunkaroos turned into the movie uh, Soul Man starring C. Thomas Howell? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly okay, what I'm okay, saying. Okay, there you go. Uh, okay, BC, let's get this. No, I wanted more, you know, more shits and giggles beforehand, but you're like, it's time to go? Well, you have a lot of show to get to today, do we not? I mean, it's, I thought you were, like, dying to talk about this. <sighs> I was, but... You know, that that addictive chemistry between us, Luke, it's, 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 it's a hard habit to break. You know? It is addictive. Um, are you going to drink before today's bit with... No, I've, I've got to drive later today, so, uh, so I would not right. be you interested in doing that. Yeah. Drive, yeah. How far is the drive from here to where you're going? I believe it's an uh, hour and a half. Oh, that's it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, I could Maybe an hour 45, I'm not sure, you know. All right. All right well, maybe we'll, stop at a few record stores on the way, you know. Real manly stuff. Is that what that is? That's Shopping that at record stores, that's yeah. man shit? That's man shit right there. All right, yeah. good to know. Uh, okay, BC, well, let's get this started because this is a huge topic and really quite interesting if I do say so myself. So Francis Ngannou, as I mentioned earlier, was on the MMA Hour yesterday with Ariel Hawani and was talking about basically what happened in terms of what we had been announced or what had been announced previously by the UFC. Namely, he is no longer with them. And by the way, there is some kind of way we should talk about this. Was he stripped? Did he relinquish the title? I realize it's six one way, half a dozen the other, but it does kind of frame the story. Anyway, he basically explained why he did not resign with them. Why, in other words, why a deal could not be reached, what he was looking for, what it meant to him, and ultimately why it failed. BC, here is what he basically said, as you know, but just to recap for the audience's sake. He said that he was given a pretty good offer from a monetary perspective, approximately eight million a fight, which is on par with. I what, think it was just for the just for the Jones fight at that level, but but the money was really good right. across the way. I'm going to imagine on top of that would be pay per view points. Right, like it would be of eight million. So you're talking, you know, if it sells well, in excess of ten million dollars for a fight, potentially more, but somewhere around that. So it's a pretty good offer. You got to say that's not a bad offer. Certainly, that's a very. But he wanted offer. a three fight deal, and right. they were not willing to to move. He him. wanted a three fight deal, with no extra provisions or hangups or clauses, just three fights in and out. That way, he could be done in a year and get another new contract. But more to the point, what he also wanted was health insurance, not merely for himself but for the roster. Whew. He wanted someone to be basically a liaison that would be working on behalf of the fighters with the executive UFC team to make sure that their interests were met. And of course, the UFC declined all of this. Uh, they were not interested in this at all, and so an agreement could not be reached. BC, there are a lot of reasons why he said what he said, namely that he had a certain set of values and then living these values were incredibly important to him. He didn't want to be a taker. 
What do you make of what he gave up? What do you make of how he justified it? How do you assess what he said yesterday? I was already pro-Francis in this specific situation based on all the facts we knew. But I have to say, after watching that interview with Ariel and hearing the, you know, he's not taking this personal. He's cool, calm, collected, and he believes that he's on a certain path that, I mean, there was there was a cool, okay, he, he's so... Damn, does he have principle, okay? Like, more than I even thought. So when we were debating after this news first happened on, you know, my live chat on our Monday episode, it was more about, like, did he make the right decision business-wise? And, you know, how possible is it now moving forward that that it, that things can happen, certain fights, certain paydays can come that would justify the move he made? What I found out here uh, from Francis's words directly from him is that the money is like the least of this. This is ultimately about respect. And he, without trying to further the, the divide between him and the company, answered Ariel's questions honestly to reveal multiple times in his journey where beyond just the general feeling of fighters to some degree feeling like cattle under the current UFC business structure, he felt distinctly many times he just wasn't treated like a man. And that, you know, that obviously crosses over to a level of negotiation and all of that. But this is a man of principles who, look, from here on out, he's golden. No matter what happens, no matter if he ever fights again, no matter if he goes to boxing and wins the heavyweight championship or any approximation in between, because it was only about principles at the end of the day. It wasn't even about boxing necessarily, even though that was a big stopgap in, in the negotiation between them where, you know, UFC looked at certain things he wanted and were like, absolutely not. And he looked at certain things they wanted in just the same. But it wasn't even about, because he said, I was willing to fight a three-fight contract, which meant Jones, which meant uh, Trilogy with Stipe, and which meant probably a rematch with Jones. And he was like, I was willing to do those fights in succession in one calendar year and then try boxing. Like, this isn't even about money or boxing or all of that. It's about one man's belief in how he should be treated. And because that's so strong and because he believes in himself, because he's been through so much shit and climbed through and got through it, that I said, when I say he's okay moving forward, no matter what happens, literally he is. Like, this is not about money. This was about respect and how you were treated. And he was actually willing to risk his standing for the future generation, for the fighters on the bottom of the card. And no one expected UFC's just going to take us out. Yeah, you know what, Francis, you're right. Let's give everybody health insurance. It's never going to happen, right, under the, under the way things are set up now. So you could say, okay, well, that shows he didn't really want to fight. Really? That doesn't show that at all. That shows that that actually meant something to him enough. Like, nothing's going to change in the overall picture here of fighter treatment unless people with something to risk are willing to stand in the line and risk it. This guy was willing to risk it all. And the way that he described it, every turn in the negotiations, money was just, extra money was just being thrown at him. And, and he was only, he said he felt like he was slapped in the face with money and just kind of told to shut up here. Here's some extra money. Take it. Be happy. That UFC finally found in, that the, in the way that they negotiate and control fighters, they finally found their equal across the board that they couldn't break. And I only mean they're equal from the standpoint that uh, he's willing to stand on his principles uh, above all else in the same way UFC is willing to stand on its own. And their principles are cutthroat, successful, dominant business. Uh, any tactic possible, leaking false information, you know, any tactic possible. They already have extreme control on the contracts and the sunset clauses, uh, lack of sunset clauses and the fact that they can match for a year. They already have that thing locked down. Um, they're not going to budge because at the end of the day, it's about money and so is business. I'm not naive. And they feel that in any kind of negotiation at the end, 
one of two things can happen. They can throw enough money because everybody's got a price for the million dollar man and that will be it. Or if that person's just crazy, they can tarnish them on the way out and push them away. Only Francis wasn't willing to break for that. And he wasn't willing to break for the things he also stood for. Um, there's no, ch like the, the, the reaction to him negative that I saw immediately was like, oh man, he's representing himself. This doesn't sound like a sound businessman. He's going to lose out in the end. The UFC made the right financial move and they might've actually for their own good for the future made the right financial move. It might be the perfect move for them to let him go. But what he did by doing it the way he did uh, was just show to me that, that they found somebody that's just not going to budge. And you don't, you just don't find that on this level when you have something to lose, except for possibly Randy Couture at times, which is interesting that they told him, oh, go ask Randy. And he did. And he got the, the true inside story of what he was up against. But the principles meant so much to him because Francis is of the rare breed at the end of the day. And we all strive to be this, but we also know the realities in certain times of our own morals and realities with our bills that, you know, at the end of the day, look, we try to not make decisions about money, but sometimes we have to and, and put it all in that. For Francis, it's not about that because he has faith and a belief that's bigger. And I don't just necessarily mean from a religious sense, and that's awesome. I mean, in just his faith that they can't control him and he's not gonna be taken down by, by what happens here in this negotiation. He was willing to risk it all. And when the negative reaction is always uh, to him, all right, Francis, that's cool, but you know this is, this is ultimately about money. He's showing you at each turn, it wasn't about any of that. It was only about what mattered. So Luke, I, I actually don't care anymore in the long run who wins this transaction. Because the, the negative reaction is always, then do something about it. The fighters are the ones who are at fault. They're the ones signing the contracts. So it's actually taking uh, somebody with something to risk to stand mm -hmm. in there and not do it. Mm -hmm. He was the first major one on this level in this climate to be willing to do that because no change is going to happen unless somebody does. He was actually willing to do that. How else could you criticize him here? Unless you are only about money, how else can you criticize him here? This is the beginning of the future. You know, in Major League Baseball, everybody got one-year contracts no matter what, which put complete control on the, on the owners and, and, and in terms of like, you're only as good as your last year. That got changed. Free agency changed. This is the beginning of monster change, I believe. And it's going to take some time. And even he said he knows it and he doesn't believe there's going to be any, you know, huge major fallout from this in that regard. But business doesn't – I mean, he stood across from them in a poker match, Luke, and wasn't willing to budge. And, I, and it says something so much about who he is. And um, – that's the only way change is going to happen, man. And I, I'm, I don't know. I'm humbled by this. I'm really seriously humbled by this. If somebody had that much, that, that at the end of the day, they could not be budged or bought. I mean, Habib to a certain degree too, in his own story, in his own way. But um, that's the only way this machine's going to change if, is in, in the way these guys are treated if somebody has that level of balls. So you know what? He did already win. And by the way, he already accomplished a shit ton if he never did fight again. Not like anyone thinks he wouldn't fight again. True. But if he just walked away, you know what I mean? He already did win because it, at the end of the day, principle matters, Luke. And you're, you're a man of principles, the things that you believe in, you don't budge on. But, you know, we all hope when it's our time, when that's, when that's at risk and we have to stand and, and take a stand for what we believe in, that, that we're willing, that, that, that we have the balls to stand up and, and risk it. This guy did have the balls. And I think only good things are going to come for him as a, as a, as a reaction to that. And I think slowly but surely, uh, this is the opening of that door, Luke, for, for change. I mean, is it only about money at the end of the day? And these guys are just cattle and, and we're just, you know, we'll just replace you with another one or, or were some, some serious things exposed here uh, in this process about how this business really works. I think uh, it's a lot to, un to to get to with your with your assessment there. I think I agree with much of it. I don't. I, I do have some mixed feelings along the way. 
Um, not about the big stuff. Like you, if you watch the interview, what do you notice? I think you brought it up. Like Francis is at ease with this decision. And that tells you like, I will say this in MMA. I've really noticed this in MMA because the game is so brutal. We kind of always distill it down to its essentials. It's about money, get what you can, and then get out. And there's really no judgment about that. That's what I've considered not really business operation, business standards, but sometimes best practices. But it is unusual in your life to actually to, to actually see someone who lives by principle. You don't actually find many people who do that, rich or poor, because it typically comes with costs, and those costs people don't want to pay. Um, I don't mean just financial costs, although those could be those as well, but ostracism costs, public embarrassment, how, and if you're a public figure, how you're remembered. You risk all of those things. And so um, the reason why none of that bothers them is because if your principles and your values actually matter to you and you actually live by them, what virtue is its own reward. Like, what is the reward for being virtuous? That 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 you are virtuous. It's not because it transactionally necessarily leads to other things. And I do want to say to this, BC, and like, you're like, it could be the sort of great things. Could be. Hope it is. Ain't necessarily a guarantee. This could be the start of, if he falls flat on his face, a retraction where people are like, he's the cautionary tale. But he took that risk knowing that. He took that risk knowing it could go my way where I get the let's say Tyson Fury fight, maybe even goes back to the UFC at some point. Who knows? There's a lot of ways it goes where it goes well. But there's a lot of scenarios where it goes poorly for him, and he is risking falling flat on his face in order to live with his principles. I just want to be clear with folks. I hope it's the beginning of good news. It is not necessarily a guarantee. In fact, I would say it's pretty far from it, at least for now. The other part to me that's I think in the long run he's going to be just fine. In the long I run, think long term he will be remembered quite fondly for living his values, but that the choice he made turned out to be a lucrative one for his career. I mean, there's a lot. Okay, think about anybody in sports who took a stand with ownership for themselves. How often were they financially rewarded, especially if we're talking like big structural changes that the industry needed? Dude, a lot of them ended up broke. A lot of them ended up remembered as a footnote. A lot of them lost. You fight, you fought the law, the law wins typically, right? So I just want to be clear about that. This is, it feels good. And I also want to say this to the audience as well. Saying, like, I'm not accusing you of this because we'll be there no matter what, but, like, for people who are fans of MMA who maybe, like, are proud of what Francis did or at least find some value in it as well, saying on social media that you liked Francis is great and telling your friends that you like Francis is great. If you actually want to support Francis, you have to go and follow what he does and, and or buy his pay-per-views. And, of course, he has the obligation to make that a good sales pitch. He has to do something of value. But I'm, I'm really pointing out, saying on social media that you like Francis, you agree with him, that's worth nothing. It's just not worth a damn thing. The only thing that matters is how you vote with your dollars and your attention that's dollars in the fair. end. And I think the last thing I'd say, though, is this is the part we say I want to go back and forth with you on a little bit. Dude, if you... So it's funny, right? Because if you look at what he asked, he even says, I wasn't expecting to get everything. The money, it sounds to me like the money was there. Like yeah. that was not at all. Like yep. he would have taken that offer if that and was obviously all it wasn't he cared the about. competition offer. Do you think this guy's afraid of anything? It's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. It's totally yeah. ridiculous. But I will say that uh, I think it's what matters to him is if you come from a deeply impoverished place where it is extremely difficult to escape, I could imagine the guilt you might live with by what you would consider leaving others behind. And I don't think he wants to live with that guilt. And it looks like he is living guilt-free yes. if ever there was. But this is the interesting part to me. If you are asking for things that what's kind of funny is 
asking for health insurance. Dude, these guys are not really independent contractors. They're basically employees. They're, mischar- they're miscategorized. <clears throat> and he's asking for things that I don't think are unfair. However, we also know they are deeply unrealistic to do. Meaning, to me, he went into that meeting knowing there was going to be a no. Yes. But if you have Are a- you negotiating in good faith when you do that? Yes. Because, because this is like, these aren't like, okay, you may look at this and just say, dude, that's business in America or more anywhere worldwide. That's business. It's cutthroat. It's, it's, it's not personal. It's business, the famous line. But that's also what this is about for Francis. Like he's not holding a grudge, whether it was slapping the money in his face or trying to defame him or trying to put pressure on him. Like he never buckled because it's not about the money to him. And because it's not personal, it's just business. Um, <sighs> What was the spirit of your question specifically? That he went into the, nego- the negotiations oh, knowing he was asking the impossible. This is a, a, a company that we're not alleging certain certain things are going on. Like we're, this is illuminating to us to actually see the behind the scenes. Anyone that wants to say, oh, Ariel's such a prior. He, well, it, that's the job. You don't get this information if somebody that's, a, that's in a spot to interview on that platform isn't doing exactly that. But this is a company that is publicly lobbying against its own fighters' right to organize, right? I mean, with, with you know, an actual, the actual legal structure of the law are trying to build in as many obstacles to, to keep the fighters at bay and lessen their rights, that it's in good faith because he's doing it for the right reasons. It's not about anything, Luke, but money. It's about like how people are treated. And here's somebody who actually looks at their life and their career in through the right glasses that again, we all hope we do when, when it's our moment of time, but do we really like it, it wasn't about the, the legacy or the career and the money or any of that. So yeah, I believe he wants to see change, Luke. And again, the only way change ever happens is if somebody with something to lose is willing to risk that. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen the negative response, bad, like I said, bad businessman, or he's just trying to make himself look good and all that. You can't say it's a that. bad business decision if what he actually values is the principle more exactly. than the money. In that case, he is actually honoring the things that matter most to him not maximizing the dollars in that particular circumstance would not be the high priority. I mean, he had to essentially, on a business standpoint, cut ties with his own agent, right? Because of the heat that was being that was being created in a lot of different ways. And I know Francis went on Ariel's show and said this wasn't a CAA versus Endeavor thing in the end. That had nothing to do with it. But there was a lot of heat. Those text messages, there was a lot of heat that was building up around. And yet Francis said, okay, I'll just do it myself. And Luke, you know not comparing Francis's business life and walk to yours, but if you're not the number one advocate for yourself, then nobody else no will be. No one's going to do that. So uh, all these people DM me and be like, BC, you are looking at this through the rosiest, romanticized glasses. Like, the end of the day, this is about business, and Francis doesn't have the acumen, and look what he just did. He's representing himself. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, no, he knows exactly what he's doing because nobody is going to fight for, exa- for exactly what, not just you want, but what you need in a principal sense uh, better than you can. And um, damn, dude, like, it, like it, it's not for everybody. No, not every person could do this, but I, I don't know why it rings so true, true to me. I mean, maybe because in our own business, Luke, I don't have an agent. You don't have an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I had one. He dropped me. Right. And I've had horrible experiences with one too. And this isn't necessarily against that, but it's the whole idea that at the end of the day, like here's a here's a real one. And it's funny because Francis called McMaynard a real one and said, despite all the negotiations, like that's a real guy. And he didn't have the same about Hunter Campbell and Dana, which I think we can all understand based on their roles and the relationship. But like, no, Francis is a real one. And so I don't think we can play this mythical Paul Bunyan angle 
like it, it, as much like we can do it ad nauseum and not I don't think hit what what to me what the value of his character overall is and it's not just in the fight game it's everything he's went through to get here you talk about make a movie about someone's life like drop everything and make that now only it's still in motion and amazing things are happening and Luke I'm getting to the point that even though the odds were extremely against him on walking into a boxing ring under boxing rules against a current boxing heavyweight champion and thinking this is anything but a spectacle Part of me wants to. Part of me wants to cheer for him. Part of me wants to just believe that when you have this ridiculous level of self-belief, maybe this is a parallel to that McGregor magic when he was beating everybody and got the Floyd fight. And there were a lot of people, and there were parts of us that even wanted to, as knowledgeable sports combat sports fans, that were like, "Man, maybe he could because he just doesn't know anything different." But shooting for the stars, and he just makes things happen, dude. I want to just believe that this is actually even possible for Francis to do that because I'm not sure I've seen uh, in in sports something so real uh, of of the human makeup of who somebody is, what really matters to them, the journey they took to get there, how they've bounced back from adversity, and how they are so steadfast on their own goals and beliefs. And it, it wouldn't be, you know. There's been athletes who had goals and beliefs that didn't seem to make uh, realistic sense in the end. Tim Tebow wanted to be a starting NFL quarterback for a whole career, and all the things were being pushed against him, right? You'd have the miracle season. You get my point. Yeah, I don't um, think Tim Tebow's a victim. I want to be. You no, know, but you get my point where there, there's certain people, you know, Evander Holyfield, when he was in his late 40s, was still like, no, uh, you know, I'm here to, to become the undisputed champion. God told me I would, you know, like when we were like, when somebody like Francis now says, "I, you know, yeah, I'll probably this summer I'm looking to do this absolutely ridiculous idea of calling up Anthony Joshua or Fury or Wilder or whatever and going across from him," I I, I want to believe that that tr when 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 Yoel Romero gave that 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 rant he did to uh, Phil um, Phil Murphy of ESPN, you know the go, go anything's possible, dude. Like I don't know about you, but I watched that that probably about four thousand times in a row after it happened, and I'm like, that's some of the realest stuff in this. Carn this cowboy carnival combat sports world that we live in. And a lot of it we love, that griminess and the trash talk and all that bullshit and the pro wrestling side that comes with it. That's the realest thing I've actually ever heard in my life. Francis is the living embodiment of that. So, like, I'm not even counting him out in this crossover to, to boxing in some weird way. And, like, look, the, the, the odds... The structure, the system are so tilted against the fighters in such ridiculous ways that I'm getting to the point where I really don't understand how you can be a hardcore fan of this sport and also equally not care. It's one thing to say, I don't want to watch your show anymore because all you guys talk about is business and debate who's right or wrong. I don't care about the business. I care about the fights. I get that. But if you have a like soul and you watch you know, UFC on, on the reg. There's a huge and, imbalance. And you know how the sausage is being made. And some of it, we're just finally getting the pieces and we're matching them together. That's why yeah. I always shout out the John Nashes and the, the other guy from MMAI and anybody who's just sort of helping us Kareem Zidane. piece it all together to understand. It's even more fucked up, this system, than I thought it was. Yeah, I mean. They it, have even more control it, than I ever imagined. People, think, they people do. think it's a dunk when they go, well, who's, okay, he left UFC, yeah, real smart guy, who are you going to fight out there? Right. The fact that he might not have a lot of great opponents inside MMA and has to go to boxing tells you how much the industry is controlled by a dominant single player. That It tells you the industry is fucked in that way because the, the, the number one heavyweight on the planet in MMA might have a hard time finding opponents that people care about because the vast majority of them in that weight class and every other one are locked up by a single promoter. But let me make just one point, BC, that I just want to be clear about something. And some, I've been in MMA for a long <clears> time. And this is one thing that I've not always gotten right in my much smaller, more diminutive role relative to Francis Ngannou. It's infinitesimally smaller. But if you play a role in the sport, you be, you, I think you should think about this. 
Fighter pay sometimes becomes what people think is a conversation about dollars. And the vast majority of the time, it is. There are a lot of people who feel like a lot of fighters who are underpaid and just want more money to get through the next camp or to reach a certain goal and then get out of the sport when they've got enough money, right? I just want to use fighting to get rich and or to, you know, to set my family up, buy some property, go on to my next chapter of my life. And I think that's all great. I think people associate fighter pay with dollars. But at the heart of fighter pay is actually about treatment and how we consider the plight of fighters more broadly and whether or not we care about them and whether or not we care about their interests and who's looking out for them. And by the way, sometimes, often, they are their own worst advocate. I saw Charles Jordan speaking out against changes to fighter pay, which to me is incomprehensible. But this is the key for Francis, BC. This is the key. There are a lot of people who don't mind getting into the sport, taking from it, and leaving. And that's true of managers, fighters, promoters, media, Brands who are sponsors, you name it. Francis, like all of us, has partly been a taker, right? He has been paid and he's rented some services. But it looks to me like what he actually wants to do is to make MMA better. And he actually wants to sacrifice some of his long-term interests, including maybe even his short-term interests, in order to make MMA better. Now, I am skeptical this will work, quite candidly. But that is at the heart of what he is doing. That is what he is sacrificing on the off altar of future greatness. There's just not many people. I've been around for almost 15, actually a little more than 15 years at this point covering the sport. There are not many people, especially ones who are in lofty positions where they can get paid, who are willing to sacrifice some of that in the hopes of making the sport actually more equitable and actually more fair because they actually think not merely about themselves, but about how the broader system should work. That is rare, that is commendable, it is extremely risky, but it is real. And I think that is how we should examine the lens of the situation. And it's, it's wild. And again, I, I really, the reactions to major UFC news never, never, like it never stopped surprising me at the, and I know you could say, well, that's just the 1% on Twitter who are, no, but I know. It I, but it's, 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 not a, it's not a real sample. I don't know. To some degree though, just the, the whole idea again of like, you know, Francis uh, lost his leverage and then went all in and overplayed his hand. And now he's got to walk away and try to find opponents. Like that's actually the way this is being framed. So uh, that, that makes me question, like, <laughs> it makes me question, are there real principles out there anymore? One, but two, like, is everyone at the end of the day, about money, like is that always the the, the you know last most, remain defining thing? And no one most. no one's trying to say that Francis has no chance to make. I mean, he can go make more money potentially in one night than he ever did in a boxing match. But like, I, I just I, I was naive, knowing already the control that UFC had over over its fighters. I would still I still find myself almost on a weekly basis more and more naive to how much of an uphill battle it actually is to have. Just, just, just representation that you can actually trust and count on are going to bat for you. That's why when, when people are like criticizing Francis for representing himself, I'm like, maybe here's the first time somebody actually can do it and is educated enough and has the belief and passion enough to pull this off. And maybe this is more of the beginning of the true change that's going to come from this. Maybe not a union tomorrow or a pay raise. Maybe more people watching that and going, oh, crap, I got to level up. Like I've got to not just take control of my own destiny, but like... I can't just trust that this manager that that has you know that has great success and a huge roster is willing to to go to bat for me on that level and and risk it all to make change. And um, uh, 
it's got to start somewhere, Luke. So I, I like all the fear, all the fears you have of of how it could go wrong and why it could be he can actually become the like. Hold on, if you're Francis, the way you live your life, seriously, the way you live your life, would you have done that? Because I got to tell you, the way I live my life, I do have certain principles, but like fixing MMA. <laughs> I mean, most days I think MMA is beyond repair. Um, I probably would have just taken the money to be candid with you. What about you? It's hard to say. It's hard, hard to, to say. say. I mean, like, he's not in a position where he, where, like, he needs the money. So that also changes this equation yes, it more. it does give him some flexibility. I mean, he has other, uh, many options away from the UFC. Whether they're, whether it's a short window or not, he has many options to make immediate money. But, um, and probably in any other business adventure, v- ventures that he has. But, uh, I mean, I hope I would, Luke. I really hope I would. Uh, I really felt like this made me re-examine, though, to be fair, my own, my own standing on certain things. Because um, there would have been great reason, like you said, to just take the, the the $8 million, whether on paper that was the highest a UFC heavyweight ever made or not. And, and I'm not saying that that's something that should be rejected. You know, it, it's more about the overall principle and the treatment. And, and so, like, I, I spin it back to you on this because how, how naive am I here, Luke? Because I do always want to be f- – what I love about our show is we're willing to be as honest as we can, right, in, in, the certain, in, the, in each topic in the current st- setup. But I, I think with that, though, is we have to be – Optim- we have to be willing to give the other side its side. And a lot of times, Luke, lately on the big stuff, you and I just happen to be aligning on the same yes. side for the most part. But I do want to tell that other side, what am I being too romantic about? I mean, is this really just business, Luke, on the highest level? And we're just this, finally think, getting exposed to it? I, I think or does it has to be that way? I don't think it's like that in the NBA, dude. Yeah, I, don't think it's I mean, like it's just kind of weird that there – listen, there is a sense within the MMA media, it seems like, that – or at least the fan, I should say the fan perception of MMA media is that the fan, the media has it out for the UFC and has it out for Dana White and will like, criticize them at every turn, which is to some extent not not entirely untrue, but that it is at this point irrational and has gone to an extent where, um, you know, the def- the defense of it is, or the the pursuit of it is no longer defensible. Um, I think that like they are negative. We are negative. I mean, we. I do it too. Like, I, I think on some of that, actually, there's not. It's not. You could. You can't dismiss that point completely at all. I think there's something to be said for that. On the other hand, guys, there's a lot of stuff that people tell us off the record that unfortunately it's hard to corroborate and it's hard to share news with you, and that makes it very difficult to to accept this argument. But just you have. Here's why MMA media might be more negative than the fans in terms of how the industry is constructed. It's because we see it, the machine up close uh, in ways that you know by virtue of the position. And I just have to tell you that like. The fighters, and again, they are often their worst advocate in ways that makes it extremely frustrating. But, but there is an imbalance in this industry, and it has massive consequences. It has massive effects, and it is hard to sit by and be super, like, just cheerful all the time. Let's talk fights, which, by the way, we're about to. We're about to because that is part of the job as well. Uh, But it's hard to be relentlessly positive in ways that I think the fans would more agree with but it requires us to ignore these, in some cases, throughout the industry in general, abuses, mistreatment, uh, uh, unequal uh, access to the same kinds of opportunities, like all kinds of moments that, dude, you, are you just going to turn the other way every fucking time? Every time. That's why we get back to the Dana White situation where he hits his wife, and I know we've been over this a million times, but like for the media who didn't speak out, it's like, dude, if you're not going to speak out then, when are you going to speak out? And there's just too much of it. The, situ- the, the UFC had a billionaire f- brother backing to get going in a regulatory environment that was wide open. 
There were virtually no rules about it. Quite literally, there were no fucking rules about it. And they created a very compelling, dynamic product. There is simply no argument about it. But in the course of doing that, they solidified the industry to bend to their will. And it has created a massive, unequal uh, share of control in the industry. And that carries negative consequences. And if being honest about that is a problem, then this isn't the show for you. Simple, right? Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you see something, say something, Luke. I see something. Okay, that's really it right there, right? Yeah, but, all right. Uh, you know, spinning off there, Luke, um, what what do you think? Because Francis said a return in, you know, as easy, as early as June or July would be preferred. And it made it sound, he did make it sound like the recovery from the knee injury is going positive, but that it's a process that, you know, he wasn't able to turn around in December. Or, you know, there was a rumor that UFC offered him the fight there. So, uh he said it's more likely that he does a boxing match in the summer, but he did say in the first two days since this news broke, his phone had been blowing up predominantly with MMA offers. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. There's certainly a conversation to be had, and I think we've already had parts of it over again, like how big are these fights that he could make now and how many actual legitimate MMA opponents are there that like would make you care. What's most likely for him this year? Because the, the, he will be judged he's fairly gonna or he's, unfairly. He's going to box first. Fairly or unfairly, his decision, the, the stance he made, will be judged in a lot of ways by the immediate success or lack of that he has this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who he's going to box and at what time. I don't know. In fact, he may end up doing MMA. But here's my guess. My guess is his first order of business, just based on where the money is and the opportunity. In fact, I've been speaking with some folks close to Nate Diaz. I think he's going to be in the exact same trajectory. I think both Nate Diaz and... Uh, Francis Ngannou are going to try some version, whether it's Nate and Jake Paul. We'll talk about Jake Paul later in the show because he has a fight. Uh, could be that. Could be Floyd and Ryzen. Some some kind of matchup yeah, the there. The market is open right now, right? In that sense, in that sense, or you know, uh, Francis might do something in a similar, who the hell knows, kinds of way. So I think they're both going to scratch that itch, and then it will be a return to MMA. But at that point, it's just too hard to tell exactly what will be what will be the case. So, uh, dude, wherever he wants to go. He's the number one heavyweight in the world, at least for right now. At least for right now. No, but do you feel like, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe I am drunk on the romance of it, Luke, but I feel like this is just the beginning for him in, in the, the real things he's going to do and accomplish in his life and how he's truly going to inspire people. And um, tied into that, his dream was always to fight in Africa, and he did mention to Ariel that it, you know, it's not something you can just do on a whim and just announce. Yeah, that, that, that is legitimately difficult. There is, within combat sports, a nostalgic rumble in the jungle, air feel. Yeah. Um, Francis should be a part of that fight, whatever it is. But could you imagine if if a Fury fight eventually does get made, if that's the direction they go? Would that, would that, well, like, that would, would be that kind do, of insane. What would that do to change, like, you know, what if it was Francis? Yeah, and, I mean, you're talking, I mean, this is very pie in the sky, you know, but like, uh, and by the way, like Rumble in the Jungle was made because Mobutu Sese Seko gave Don King money that he couldn't raise elsewhere to make the fight happen. Oh, yeah. Let's make no mistake. Boxing's dirty <laughs> and shit and always has been. It's just right. that there's no organization. You yeah, know. so that, that was a very unique set of circumstances, and he was looking for that fight to sports wash for Zaire and his government. So, like, it's, you know, let's be clear about that. But, uh, you know, let's, let's just say, and Cameroon is a deeply poor place, but some kind of place in Africa that would be, you know, representative or feel like he was doing something to give back to whatever causes matter for him. Dude, that would be historic. I mean, it'd be truly historic, right? That would be, that would be maybe like a, like Ali Anaki, which Josh Grosh wrote a great, great oh, book yeah. on, uh, is almost a little bit forgotten because the fight itself kind of sucked, you know? But what if you had like an Ali Anaki that delivered, 
right? What if you had an Ali Inaki that was actually big and memorable and fun and cool and historic for the place that, that it was uh, fought in and everything else? You know, again, you're talking very much uh, uh, of all the ways this could go, one of the better permutations. But if something like that were to happen, that would be, you know, historic beyond words. Because I think, again, I think win or lose, a lot of money or little money, Francis is going to be fine, and this is really what matters to him. So I think an event like that, I would assume, would matter more right. to him on what it, the impact of it. But as a fan of combat sports and Francis, would you rather see, let's just say the Fury in Africa, Rumble in the Jungle 2 thing did happen, would you rather see a modified rules, maybe with four-ounce MMA gloves, to make it a more interesting fight? Or yes. would you rather see, it, hold on, Francis get the chance at the legitimate heavyweight championship of the world in boxing, considering this mythical thing of doing it in, in, you know, in Africa, yeah. consider it Cameroon, wherever you want to do I, it. I think the coolest thing, if it was ever possible, and it's probably not, but if it was ever possible, would be a two-fight deal. One in pure boxing, one kind of like what one does with four-ounce Muay Thai, where you could have boxing plus dirty boxing like, and, and you know, fence wrestling or something like that, right? No takedowns or whatever, but, you know, that kind of a thing. So no kicking. You can't do kicking, right? Yeah, no kicking, no wrestling. Again, you could do dirty boxing and, you know, underhook someone alone. So BKFC thing. rules in a sense. Something like yeah. that. C custom rules in some kind of way. I think that would be tremendous. Because, I mean, again, I'm, I'm pie in the sky here. Very pie in the Very. sky. Very but he's going to end up fighting like some fucko on but wouldn't PFL. That make you actually, like, look, it's a gimmick to have him come in as the reigning and defending best heavyweight in MMA to try to challenge the best heavyweight in boxing. It's a gimmick if that's a real fight for the title on the line. But hey, something like this has been done before to a certain degree. But would you be okay with that gimmick if it was in Cameroon, dude? Build as like Rumble in the Jungle too. Wouldn't that make that gimmick like just? Isn't that the best way to do that? Best way to do that. In his home country? But Cameroon, I don't know if they have the facilities or if that's the right place for okay, it. Okay, uh, just, just Africa. For the, for the gate, I think, alone. Um, yes, that would be tremendous. It would be tremendous. It would be truly Like, you'd be willing, even huge. if you were, like, the most ardent boxing traditionalist ever, you'd be like, that's a cool story. Let's do that for the real heavyweight yeah. championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it'd be questions about where you put it and everything else. But, yeah, I mean, this, again, virtue is its own reward. And Francis made that choice to be virtuous in accordance with his values. Uh, but whether or not that leads to financial success, they are, to me, disconnected. So we'll see. All right, BC, with that in mind, let's put that behind us. Want to make sure our, fan, our, our, excuse me, our listeners know, holy hammer, people, we see you, we hear you. This month we're working on it with our favorite show sponsor, Money Lion, the only money app you'll ever need on a brand new segment. They love combat sports as much as we do, right? So we decided to collaborate and create what you guys know as the Money Lion Hammer of the Month. Of course, the Hammer of the Month can be a boxer or MMA fighter on the rise that's not getting the recognition they deserve. We plan to highlight our nominees on the show and pick one winner, of course, at the end of every month. Uh, when you are watching the fights over the weekend, we know we got the pay-per-view coming up this weekend, let us know which fighters deserve this sweet award. Just hop onto your go-to social platform and tell us who you think should be nominated by tagging at MoneyLion on Twitter or at MoneyLionInc on Instagram. Use that hashtag, Hammer of the Month. For more information, go to MoneyLion.com slash Morning Combat. Um, Aaron Blanchfield's got one of these. Yep. And in, 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 uh, we got to give him Ilya, one. We're, we're, we're in the process of getting that to him. So uh, uh, we know a couple weeks back we saw Royman Villa in the Showtime uh, pay-per-view undercard had a big moment. But we saw, I think, more than a few over this past weekend, Luke, with one championship with the UFC's uh, first card of the new year. I mean, are we talking about Umar Nurmagomedov right now when we're talking about Holy Hammer? Yes. He beat the fucking shit out of Hayoni Barcelos. Yes. Are we talking about Roman Kapilov? Yes. 
We sure are. Uh, that jab uh, and liver kick was. How about that dude in the kickboxing one main event? That was pretty oh, vicious. Oh, right? uh, Chingiz Alazov, dude, that was nuts. Fuck yeah, he's on that one. He's on, dude. There's a great already. There's some great ones you could pick from. Yeah. How about you in the commode earlier? Oh, <laughs> yeah. dude, that was that was that was that was Fedor Nogueira one yeah, ground and yeah. pound. Right you there. dropped one of these, I'm sure. Uh, BC, I don't want to say who it was, but a, a friend of mine in the industry, I'll say, uh, a Hispanic person, wrote to me to give me a clarification on the word gringo. Now, I have to say, if he's still watching this. I want you to know, I, I only halfway believe you by virtue of the way I've seen it used. Why otherwise. can't we just say the name Danny Segura? No, it's not Danny. No, it's literally not Danny. It's 100% not Danny. Okay. Okay. Um, although Danny would probably agree. He's saying, this person who wrote this to me, that it's true of anyone from the United States, including someone of Mexican descent who's like fully American, who then goes to like Mexico or another country or whatever, right? So you can actually be a gringo and still be of Hispanic origin. I'm gonna call bullshit on that. <laughs> now, not in the not in the totality of it. I'm sure it has happened, but I will just tell you that, like, first of all, I know Hispanic people who call Americans gringos here. <laughs> like, if you live in the United States and someone is here, you can't be a gringo here. You can only be a gringo there. Number one. Number two. Let's just be real. Like. They interject it. Like, I've been to bars and shit, and there's a bunch of white people dancing, and they're like, look at these fucking gringos. That's how it gets used all the time. You know what I'm saying? I'm Uncle Gringo. You're Uncle Gringo. Yeah. I very, you know, it's like every time you see it, it's like it's never like, uh, like wow, we're so glad these gringos are here. You know, it's never. Uh, I have one sibling. My sister, she has three kids. Mm -hmm. I have a niece and two nephews. You know what they call me? Uncle Brother. Okay, that's disturbing. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's a little on the weird side. I don't think it is, Luke. I think I have a connection with them that goes deeper. Okay. <laughs> uh, Luke, might. breaking news. Do you want to uh, hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. This is from uh, at Rafa Marinho. Okay, he is uh, reliable. Uh, the UFC is looking to book Amanda Nunes versus Irene Aldana for the Bantamweight title. UFC 285 on March 4th, the same night as John Jones, Seattle gone. That's a great one. That's that's a that's good a ass fight. One. That is a good, you know, for that that division is is not hot at the moment from the standpoint of many contenders and and storylines. Luke, I'll take that matchup though. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The hell is they're this? blowing up right now. Yeah, I know. Like someone's going. One of our one of one of our Showtime producers texted us going, BC, what amphetamine are you on? In my response, passion. <laughs> I don't mean passion fruit flavored, Luke. There's no vaping here. This is just, you know. Are you proud of me? I haven't vaped. I am very proud of you. Seriously. I, I am. Like, I want one bad, right? But I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it. So, yeah. all right. Oh, do you, do you crave the watermelon taste or do you crave being high? The actual taste of smoking. Like, the actual process. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the actual. 
Uh, all right, let's, let's go to it. Uh, UFC 283 BC. As we mentioned before, uh, this is a great card. We're going to have Anik, Felder, and Cormier on the call. I actually think that's a great booth, personally. Dude, that might that is that the best booth right now? Uh, it's up there. I mean, it's Paul's, up there. Paul's in the conversation. But would you? But are you more of a Dom Cruz fan? Are you more of? I will say it this way: I used to be more Dom Cruz. I don't. I'm not as much anymore. I think Felder has taken his slot from me. Okay. I think Felder, Anik, and you kind of need D. I know people want to hate on DC style, but you need that that happy presence in the. He, dude, he's funny. He's funny as shit. Uh, he brings a certain levity to the broadcast. I like him for his wrestling knowledge. Okay. Like when he's talking wrestling, I really tune well, in. Well, you would admit that him and Rogan. Sometimes it's too, it's, it's too, too it sounds like, a, it sounds like the Manning cast. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like they're just, I like having one guy who's the, right. There's nothing more, wrong with the Manning cast, but it's a secondary broadcast by, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's not the, you don't hear that as your primary. I'd like anyway. to see Kiesa more in that role, but that's just me editorial. I like, I like Kiesa uh, in that role as well. Uh, this will take place at the Jayunese arena. Uh, and of course we'll be on pay-per-view BC in your main event. Glover Teixeira will be fighting Jamal Hill for the vacant UFC light heavyweight title. Uh, it is vacant because Magomed Ankalaev and uh, 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 excuse Jan. Me, Jan Blahovich could not claim it in a bizarre kind of shitty fight that had questionable but whatever scoring. And so we're still at a point where there is no existing champion as we speak today in this weight class. Would BC, the real Slim Shady please stand up is what you're saying? And right. Then they booked this one kind of like last minute as well because remember, Jamal Hill was supposed to be fighting Anthony Smith. They just pulled Anthony out of that and said, we're going to give it to Glover. BC, this is a fight that I don't think a lot of people asked for. I don't think people are upset per se that Jamal Hill has earned a good opportunity right. or that Glover is back. Yeah. But it's definitely A, the fight no one asked for, and B, I don't think the winner of this can rightfully claim to be the top light heavyweight. No, and and it's 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 tough right now because this division's a mess, and I think this title picture and the decision making also got a little bit messy. Although I do understand the the, the hands being tied here with that draw and with Prohachka being out now for a full year, but it's like on paper, is this a good fight? Oh, dude, this fight rules. I mean, this fight might might be just action oriented back and forth. You know, a poor man's version, if you will, of the fireworks that Glover and Yeri gave us. For the title last time, but uh, you know, I, it, the storyline potential is huge on a feel-good level. Certainly, with 43-year-old Glover now fighting in his home country for the first time since 2014, with a legitimate chance here to become a two-time champion and raise it up. Now, Luke, if we were going to predict further doom for the UFC from a bad karma standpoint, we would probably say, well, there's two scenarios that not, might not be great here where a champion could be crowned, but it could make it worse. What if Glover wins it, but what if it's a war and he survives it? And, you know, in the moment he's like, I know I said I wouldn't retire right now, but I'm in my home country. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I don't I don't have to fight again. They can't make me, uh, you know, I'm going away. Or what if the fight is just not good and Jamal Hill wins it? And even though Jamal Hill is on a run of three straight knockouts against legitimate opponents to get him into this larger conversation, did he actually earn this title shot? And, and would that make you feel confident like, oh, yeah, the best light heavyweight in the division definitely just won it? No, it wouldn't. Wouldn't be Jamal Hill's fault, though. But I think there are ways that this bad feeling can continue, even though this is a sneaky good matchup on paper. But I, I, I mean, I, outside of like... Nico Montano fighting for the title that time. I don't. I don't know if I can recall a, a title fight like this where, like the matchup, expect to be entertained, but feel so a ambivalent about misguided. I don't know the right adjective about the title stakes and whether this. You know what I mean? Like whether the title really means. You know, kind of like when we got when we walked into Bisping Hendo two. You're like, great fight storyline. 
But this shouldn't be happening right now. Yeah, especially not at 4 a.m. in London, which it, it took And then place. it was a wild fight, yeah, though. Let's crazy. give Dan Hendo credit, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I would say that, look, um, I don't think the winner of this can rightfully claim to be better than Vadim Nemkov. I, don't, I just don't think that's true. But I will say this. There's, it's an interesting possibility either way. If Glover reclaims the title, that would be, in some cases, almost historic and hugely, I think, validating for um, the kind of career he's in the last chapter of this career that he's put together for himself. In the case of Jamal Hill, it would be, I would say, on the feet, he is nasty and mm -hmm. dangerous and a threat to anyone in that division. Uh, and if he were to win, though, that would be one of the more lopsided skill sets you would see for a UFC weight class champion, right? Yes. I mean, Habib had a lopsided skill set, but it was so controlling, quite literally, from a physical standpoint, that he kind of get around it. Jamal Hill, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say he has a bad ground game, but I think he's got a limited one. I do think that's true. I think he's largely training defense. Right, he's not going to go on the offense except for maybe a little bit of ground and pound on top. But he's not going to pass guard, take the back. He's not threatened that way. So it'd be unusual for a weight class champ to be somewhat as as lopsided as as he is. Uh, but I do think they they match up well. Glover is older. He can strike, but we've seen more recently he's gone back to his wrestling and his grappling when he needs to. And if he is, goes all ham on the ground game here, this could get this could get dicey for Jamal. And his ground and pound is terrifying. His top control is terrifying. Unlike Jamal Hill, he can take your back. He can threaten the pass. He can do lots of stuff on the ground. So it's almost a bit of a striker versus grappler fight in a way, which is fine and interesting. Does it? Do you think the UFC has a preference here? On this I was going to ask you that, and I think the preference would be. Teixeira, it'd be a great moment to do this in front of his home fans for sure. He's on this run of making spectacularly fun action fights, but also having the willing, the, the ability to still be credible in a couple of different categories to be in spots to win, not just in the upset to win the title. But you know, he's he, this is a, this is basically a pick on betting wise, right? This this fight. Uh, the odds as they were put in the rundown. Not quite. But Jamal Hill's slight favorite okay. minus one thirty. So to to plus I think because look, uh, let's be fair though. Either way, there's a potential here that this is a uh, transitional champion, in my opinion, setting. I think Uncle Ive gets the winner. Do you agree, disagree with me? Uncle Ive gets the winner. Probably, yeah. And and he'd be favored. And, and look, he, he also has to make some tweaks and changes. But, yeah, I think it's that. Um, but, Luke, do you remember that feeling when Michael Bisping upset Luke Rockhold? Yes. That feeling where you felt great because we love Bisping and his story, and he finally got the validation, the Hall of Fame stamp in that moment, and also taking the fight on short notice against the guy who had dominated him. There's a lot to like there, right? But didn't you have that feeling like, great story, but the best middleweight in the world is not the champion at the moment. Do you think we have that feeling no matter who wins this fight on Saturday? And it's not a horrible feeling. It happens at times, but... it's a good question. Um, would you? Am I being wrong? Am I being too wrong about the Bisping thing? Like I had felt like, hey, great fight against Anderson, but I thought the judges got it wrong. And then he upsets Rockhold, and you're like, man, great story, but like. I thought that he beat Rockhold fair and square. Yeah, well, not 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 suggesting that. Yeah. No, no, he found his weakness and exploited it. The thing is, um, I mm, Bisping had really just the right performances at just the right time, and it ended up being a bit of a feel-good story. Folks forget there were long stretches of Bisping's career where he was a villain. Right. So that's different than this situation. But we always believed he could win a title, so it wasn't like, yes. like oh, that was shit, this the, guy's champion. That was the North Star. It was yeah. just sort of like, oh, this guy's champion right now? That was more of what Yeah. Was. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so in any case, it's a little bit different than I think the way you're setting it up, but I just feel like what folks should expect is some whoever the winner of this is has a claim to being top three 
top two maybe, depending if it's Glover, I think, a little more well-rounded. Um, and then it's on to the next to see if there's a more dominant figure. We ha- I had thought, I guess incorrectly at this point, yeah, that Ankalaev was the inevitable one, and he is not. He, he, he may end up being, but not in the way that I thought yeah, he was going to be. Right. So so that turned out to be not quite as true as I had hoped. He, but um, he, might, he may get a kick in the pants. He might. Again, he, but I, I had thought he was just going to, like when John Jones took the title, I was like, dude, it's going to be a fucking wild yeah. before someone takes was it. Was it 23, too? Anyway? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was crazy. So, uh, yeah, but I think he was even younger than 23. But um, anyway, oh, that's, it's that's, a fine fight, but there's nothing like spectacular about it. That being said. But, but hold on, just just to close on this, because we were being critical there of the way it played out. And I think it's fair. I think in this case, it's fair to criticize the way that, that they're sort of just robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Okay, you guys fight for the title now. The Connor argument of what could they have done? What would be a better option given? I mean, it's a rare, rare situation, right? So Yeah, but that, no, even that question's the wrong question. Remember, what does the UFC value above everything else? The trains leaving the station on time. They want to book dates in cities that have been planned out ahead of time. They want to keep, they know exactly which titles they need to be in rotation. They know exactly which shows they want to have. And it's about making sure that all of those shows, whether it's a pay-per-view, whether it's at the Apex, whether it's on the road, whether it's a fight night, whether it's on a- ABC, whatever it is, that it has all of its needs met. And so when they book a date and something happens or they can't quite get what they want, they will do what you call robbing Peter to pay Paul. At that point, that's the most rational decision you could make if you're operating in the UFC. But once those things happen, you're just accommodating a date. Yeah. It no longer becomes about making sure you have the best product. So, But you, could, you can also say, did, did Jan and Ankalaev deserve a chance at a rematch for the, for the vacant title? I Not thought really, so. But right? then the, you know, here's the thing. If the fight had been exciting, they might have done one. But the fight was kind of like – it's like once Ankalaev figured it out, the fight got like – easy for him. It's like, yeah. why the fuck did you wait until the fourth to start taking this guy da- down? Yeah, I guess the real answer would be that it didn't need to be rushed right around the corner. Although I get, look, Glover has, they, they needed Glover a headliner. A for, dude, this is the, remember more something. About the business. Yeah. This is the first show back in Brazil for the ultimate fighting championship yes. since the last show, which was headlined by Charles Oliveira versus Kevin Lee, which was during the pandemic. And remember they were supposed to go to London, I think the week or two after. And that's when all the airports were closing and governments were closing and blah, blah, blah. This is their return. Since then they had to have some kind of crown jewel on this. Yeah. And look, Glover look, in a title fight does that now. That. Let me frame how all Brazil this card is. There's 15 fights on this pay-per-view, which yeah, is a lot, first of all. Ton. There's a Brazilian-born born fighter in every single fight, all 15. Two of the fights have two Brazilian-born fighters fighting each other, and both the main event and co-main event, both of which are title fights, obviously have a, a Brazilian fighting for it as well. I mean, and you get Shogun's last fight, which I'm sure we'll mention, and, and you get certain key storylines of, of up-and-coming people like – Dude, this is this is the the the. I guess you're right. They had to do something big, but I feel like they they for, from just the Brazil standpoint, they accomplished that like a slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, this is like a recent history of Brazilian greats. Up and it's down a this it's a reminder of what a ever present, continuing fucking powerhouse Brazil is in modern martial and mixed martial. And we get Gilbert Burns back. I mean, it's it's a, it's a good ass card. The card the card overall is quality. The main event is a is fine. There's nothing wrong with it as a main event. But it's like pay-per-view worthy. That's we're I, I, it's going to suffer at the box office. Let's just be clear about that. Okay. However, BC. You know what they could have done? Glover versus John two at heavyweight. Glover versus John two at heavyweight. Would he want to fight? Yeah, you're not going to bring John. I'm back. a good. I, come on, that's not a bad idea. Come nah, on. Nah, I was at Glover John one. John. But it's, John it's, it's different him. now. It's heavyweight. It's a different Glover. Come on, you know, because in reality, I wouldn't hate seeing it. I wouldn't hate seeing yeah. it. But if you're the UFC, it's like we're going to bring John Joe's back on pay-per-view. And we're going to put it in Brazil. 
You're not going to sell nearly as many pay-per-view buys that way. All right. So then co-main event, UFC Flyweight Championship is up for grabs again when reigning champion Devison Figueredo, who nearly quit, is uh, defending his title for the, I guess, the the first time since he won it back the last time uh, against Brandon Moreno. The first quadrilogy in UFC history. There have been other ones in MMA, but this is all taking place under the UFC banner. Am I wrong? Have there? Uh, I know at time, okay, they don't, UFC does not consider ultimate fighter season fights as real fights or exhibitions. Yes. But if you count those, haven't some people fought each other four times or am I wrong? Maybe that's the case. Uh, Tim Sylvia and Orlovsky fought each other four times, but the last of the four oh, was in point. one. Okay, so in terms in of one. UFC real fights, yeah, I mean, the cool part about this, these are Figueredo's four fights in succession, all four in a row against Moreno. Back to back to back to back? Uh, yeah, I believe so, right? I can't be wrong I think on this. you might be right about Whereas that. Whereas Moreno has the Kai Car France fight as his last fight to, to get the interim title. Now, I mean, what's cool yeah, about— Yeah, you're right. Brandon Moreno draw, Brandon Moreno loss, Brandon Moreno victory. Crazy. So what's cool about it for Moreno is he didn't. we didn't necessarily need to have him fight Kai Car France for the interim title. It was more, again, about a business decision by the UFC to have another title And he was losing it until he wasn't. Card. But him having earned that also kind of makes this fight even cooler because it is a unification, even though that's, that part of it is kind of unnecessary. And it's the fourth time. And the champion, Figueredo, who had, like, the most unlikely victory in this series of anybody by the way that he won the third fight after, you know, being 34, being a guy who we have no guarantee can make weight each time he tries out on the championship level. And he was stopped by the guy the fight before, so that he comes back and wins. I mean, that fight, that win still holds up as being so gnarly. Now he gets to beat fight in front of his home fans. I mean, like, this, are we putting too much pressure on them to, to, to ask for another classic? No, I don't, I don't think they know any other way, right? The first, I, I actually rewatched uh, the second and the third one. Uh, the second one to me was a classic. Third one to me was very good. Okay, I was going to ask you. You think the second because the second one was the most one sided of it. Brandon classic Moreno. in the sense that it was just it was really fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, the third one was great. Like all, the, okay, let's be clear. All three fights are great. Uh, one or two of them are maybe classics. The third one to me is not a classic, but a very, very, again, I want to be super clear. It's a great fight. Yeah. Not all, that classic is a very high bar. It had some tactical elements to it rather than just The that, reason right? to me why the third fight was not one is because of the adjustments that Figueredo had made. He basically decided to dial it back a little bit. He was going to wait for the, in, the blitzing of Moreno to counter it, to tie him up, to constantly disrupt his rhythm. He was going to keep it at range. The leg kicks were huge. His overhand right landed constantly. Although I will say Moreno was able to land the left hook pretty consistently as well. They kind of rocked each other. But it was it was the decision by Figueredo to slow the fight down, keep it at range, land the leg kicks, constantly move, reset, just making a guy like Moreno either blitz or just get caught looking and force consistent resets. And it was brilliant. And remember, of course, who was in Figueredo's corner? It was Henry Cejudo, who had come up with this very, very good game plan. Super smart. Like, don't get into these scrambles with this guy. Don't waste energy. He's open for this and he's open for that. Stick to that and just apply it for five John rounds. John Jones is co-captain. That's right. And he did it. It was very good. However, BC, the one thing I took away from that fight is, one, Figueredo just doesn't defend the left hook ever, number one. And number two, you remember Figueredo, <laughs> yeah, you remember, like Figure, you remember Figueredo landing the right hand on Moreno and knocking him off of his feet a couple of times. In fact, stealing the third round doing that. But it was also Moreno's power on Figueredo that had him on chicken legs very often. Here's what I'm going to say to you, BC, true or false. 
in order for Brandon Moreno to win this fight, based on what we saw in the third, he has to corner Figueredo, fight him inside boxing range, and use his faster hands, crisper combinations, and very good power to put this guy on his on his rear yeah, end. Yeah, he, he also has to make the right counter chess move here in reaction to what Figueredo did last fight. And that key, the way you said it, kind of became more of the, of the counter puncher, make him come to you. We still need aggressive Moreno. We still need a guy who who goes for finishes and, and and makes a fight happen. But we have to see the most mature version of him. You know what I mean? I mean, like, consequently, then when you watch when you rewatch the second fight, what was ultimately the key for Moreno in that one? Do you believe activity, flurries, blitzes, um, uh, uh, moving through scrambles, finishing long combinations? But uh, do you believe that was a because look, it's it's a gamble, Figueroa. Every time he tries to make one twenty-five, yes, the true or false, it is right. It's tough. Do you think he was compromised the most by that potentially in that second fight, or was that more? About I think he was compromised in the third fight. It's not that I don't think Moreno has good power. I do think he's got good power, but the like Figueroa looks fragile underneath it, and that's kind of crazy because you're like, well, he won the last one, but like, dude, I'm telling you, go back and watch. He gets his shit rattled several times. Now it doesn't last all that long. The difference between them was. Moreno would get knocked off of his feet by the power of Figueredo. And by the way, Figueredo has huge power for a flyweight. He's a, and then that stripe he puts in his hair is a fucking badass. It's, cra- it's crazy. Badass. He, and he would knock Moreno down, but Moreno would kind of get back up and then be okay right away. But it looked a lot for the judges. The opposite kind of happened for Figueredo. Moreno would hit him, and he kind of would just absorb it and then get a little bit loose and, like, he'd be a little <laughs> bit wobbly and almost look more vulnerable, but he would actually never get knocked down. It was kind of interesting how they how they absorbed the power differently, but that tells me that that weight cut fucks with his ability Absolutely. to take damage. There's no denying it. Absolutely, but at the same time, it's like, do you are you are you confident he can be the exact same fighter at 135 against those killers? No. No, no, He kind of needs to be the, the big bully He'd here, be you know? awesome at 130. Uh, he'd be Absolutely. awesome at 130. If there so, was a weight class there. Uh, look, I, I do. I hope. Obviously, we hope he makes it here, and that this is less about anything like that, and it's more about who can make the adjustments. And 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 I, there's a lot at stake of what this rivalry can mean historically. I believe if they come out with not just not like what if this, this is the best fight of their of their of their rivalry. Like if I asked you off the top of your head, and sometimes when I say what's the best rivalry, it's not like always who had the best fight. Sometimes it's more of the think DC and John the 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 rivalry of it. What are the three best rivalries in MMA history off the top of your head? Independent of weight class? Yeah. Um, Jones, D.C., let me think. So that's one. Um, you could argue Josh Thompson, Gilbert Melendez. Good one. For, for the quality of those fights, absolutely. Um, you could argue that one. You could argue how many times did they have to fight? At least two? Connor versus Nate. Connor versus Nate's a great one. Uh, someone says Tito Chuck back there. Well, that's that's a Long great Island one. Luke. His dad was born in Australia. Uh, Rampage Vanderlei was a great one. <clears throat> Um, I mean, I, I could go back. I mean, Amanda the, versus Valentina. Uh, oh no, no. Shoot to box versus Brazilian top team had a shitload of them. Eventually, it'd be Rose versus. Uh, let me Whaley. get to some. Let so me hold get... on, I, I do that operation okay. for a reason. If this fourth fourth fight is is pretty damn awesome and another one of those kind of fight of the year contenders, can this crack the sort of you know top three or four? But does this enter the conversation? Not just an also ran, but truly enters the conversation of best rivalry in, I guess, at least UFC history. Yeah, the only thing separating this rivalry from the other ones that I mentioned. These are all title fights, by the way. These are title fights, but the amount of care that people have about the lightweight or the light heavyweight or welterweight title is just significant. Hardcore MMA fans can stunt online that they think flyweight's the greatest thing since sliced bread. The vast majority of MMA fans disagree with you, just to be very clear about that. And that lowers the amount of stakes for how much people consider it. Yes. You know, John and DC 
those were not as good fights to me as these three have been. And even though that was just two anyway versus the three. Uh, but so as fights, they're tremendous. And I think with this fourth, it will take on a very important historical significance. But the reality is people view, for example, um, St. Pierre and Koscheck. Maybe that, that was so one-sided, not in the end. But, you know, Penn Maynard and St. Pierre. Maynard versus Maynard Eggert. Like, that one carries more significance because the weight class carries more significance. Okay, so it it's, it's really there's just the not the same romantic connection is really what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, but people identify. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But, so but, but, but I think if you're being fair and this fourth one is great, I don't think you have much of a choice but to put it in the list of the very, very gotcha. best. Now, we do have a couple of clips here. I'm not going to get to all of them, but we have a couple of clips here from uh, Brandon Moreno speaking to our own Shaquille Majori of CBS Sports. Here's one I want to get to. Moreno uh, says, or I should say explains what actually went wrong in the trilogy fight where he lost. Let's hear what he has to say. The pressure, man, the, the attention from the media, you know, the, all the my new responsibilities, mm-hmm. like, it was hard. <laughs> that part was was hard. I, I, I can't lie to you. Uh, and maybe that uh, put more noise around my head and put an extra pressure on, on my on myself. But man, I, I, I actually, I mean, obviously I saw that fight like uh, uh, so many times and I was fighting really good. Just, uh, I think uh, uh, Davidson, again, made a, a really good uh, things in the middle of the fight and maybe I can, I can, uh, did I like uh, better things uh, talking about myself in that fight so that said man it wasn't a close fight even even with that I, I i thought i thought i won the fight but man that that happened when you're going to a close fight going to the judges yeah. uh so man and so i tried to pass the page very quickly and and start to think and what is next for me and Got a little bit out in front of his skis the moment got to him here a little bit bc he had an anderson silva like toy collection behind him though he did. The Funkos, he was, he was he rocking out there. Uh, he also mentioned on what he's done to fix his issues. Let's hear this. Something very similar happened with me when I fall in 2017. I remember it was my, my first main event for the company, and I fall in, in Mexico City mm-hmm. in front of my people. I remember the, the responsibilities going to that fight, like, grow a lot and everything changed for me. And maybe that affected me just a little, a little bit going to that fight. And this time was the same, uh, but, you know, I had the, the, the experience from, my, from, from the past. So that uh, gave me more confidence to manage all the pressure and, and the new attention, all the, the new responsibilities. I mean, definitely that helps. Uh, for sure, is uh, be very close with my family. Be like very far from social media. Don't, don't read comments and Good that call. stuff, man. I like when people are honest at this level. Not just um, he's. I don't think he's saying this to make you know to say these are the excuses of why I lost the third fight. But being honest and saying like, yeah, as champion, I got distracted. There's interviews. There's you know glitz and glamour. I'm a star now. Like that's a real thing, Luke. That's a real pressure in this game. So to see somebody. Uh, own up to that, I think, is is, is interesting because it affects performance. I mean, dude, th- this game, when you hear it said in anything in life, but you certainly hear it say often from the people that are in the game about MMA, it's, you know, 90% mental, Luke. I mean, maybe in a lot of cases, everything is, but uh, there's no, so be, much... Being a champion, to- like the demands on a champion, especially on fight week, are so... Like just watching, I've seen a couple champions up close on fight week. Dude, even the day, for example, the day was a Tuesday, I think, the day I went up to Israel Adesonya's yeah. um, mansion that he was renting out in New Jersey. Oh, my God, man. There were, like, 
other video crews setting up over here. He's got someone monitoring exactly what he's eating, of course, but like down to the minute where he has to be, who he has to talk to. People are handing him phones, handing him this. It's crazy how much a champion has to do on fight weekend. That was just Tuesday before it even ramped up to all the other things. I understand that. I, I've, I've seen it. It's a, it's a beast. I mean, the pressure that. almost killed GSP, right? Like he walked yeah. away from the sport. He couldn't take it anymore. It was, and that's GSP. So it's like, uh, that's why I always say it. There's so many ways to lose in the sport, even compared to boxing. It's why, like, from a betting standpoint, things are crazier in MMA. But there's so many. It, it's anytime somebody puts on a title reign, that's five, six. You know what I mean? Like anytime you get into that rare territory, dude, that's special. That is, this is so hard to to maintain just on the mental journey of it. Mm -hmm. Just you know what I mean? And you know, in, you got to stay injury free. But like all that pressure and demand, I give a lot of respect um, for that. So I think the odds are basically a push on this one, right? Pretty close to exactly the main event. Devison Figueredo plus 100. So he's technically, the champ is technically the underdog. However, Moreno just minus 120. Would it be so fair to say close. that the fighter with the most to gain in terms of potential improvements is Moreno? Yes. So even though the odds are a push, I feel like Moreno should be favored here. I feel like this gives, even though he's got to go on the road in enemy territory, uh, look, this is his opportunity to to fix the wrong and show us Dude, what If the got. answer to his problems is that he has to push the action, now his, the, the setups have to be better and different. But if his answer is basically pressuring a guy who has wants to try to avoid the fight, that's a good adjustment to have to make. It's actually harder to go back the other way where I have to stick and move and I don't want to do that. Um, you know, for, for Figueredo to dial it down, it was actually quite difficult to manage over the course of 25 minutes. So this is doable. This is so very let's doable. Ask the for key question about those adjustments. Here's the key question. How much are we asking of Safe Saud, who has uh, taken over the reins uh, of the camp for Brandon Moreno because of the James Cross situation? Um, this is asking an interim champion going into the you know quad historic quadrilogy trying to regain his belt to to make changes. He definitely needs to make changes after the third fight. But what are you expecting with a new famous coach, smart guy? But you've got to build time and chemistry and foundation. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. And, and you know. Safe Saud is probably the best choice given the circumstances. I mean, he's a good choice no matter what, but especially given the circumstances. He's going to be locked on. He's going to have done his homework. He's going to give everything to that moment. He's got a loud, in-your-face, very clear style. I know uh, Safe is really big on game plans, sticking to the game plan. So they must have some idea of what's prepared, what their responsibilities are, and he's going to try and do everything he can to like a dog on the Iditarod race to crack him, to motivate him to do exactly everything that he's supposed to be doing. Uh, the question is, do they have the right tactical changes in the absence of James Krause? Who, right. you know, I guess that makes a lot of sense on the odds, Look from that standpoint. It really yes. does with the questions. Uh, and when, you know, dude, both guys question, have big power. He, has he hit a ceiling in terms of evolution? Who? There, uh, Moreno. That's Moreno, I don't think point. so. Figueredo, I do. Like, he's young, but he's not super young, and he has been yeah. in wars. So how old How old did he have that? Brandon Moreno, I can pull that up here. Give me just and, a second. And keep in mind that this is the smallest uh, male weight class, so, you know, you age quicker. And, and that's he's 29. It. Okay. I mean, obviously, so he's look, not even entered his full MMA prime. But Figueredo's showing us at 35 that it certainly can be done in this era to stay this this dangerous and this uh, potentially dominant. But, dude, uh, I it's almost like I, I almost don't want to break this fight down, Luke, because I just want to enjoy it and be entertained because they've given us a lot. I respect both of these guys and what they've given. Um, I like that the champion gets to fight in his backyard, but uh, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be a good night out at the fights. This should have been the main event, yes or no, true or false? Should have been. I mean, they do it by weight, so the heavier guys are going to go higher, but this is a better fight by, at least on paper, it's a better fight. Now, let's go to the what they call the feature fight, which is neither the main nor the co-main, but the one after. Uh, Gilbert Burns taking on Neil Magnia, though. This one has uh, the 
second or third most lopsided odds. And not of, a damn person talking about it. Yeah, of every fight on the card, Gilbert Burns a minus 460 to Neil Magny's plus 370. Okay, is that fair? I know Neil Magny's coming off a pretty big win here, right? I mean, is yeah, that fair? Uh, I do think it's fair, actually, yeah. I mean, Gilbert he beat Burns. Say again? He beat D-Rod. Who did? Neil Magny in his last fight. Yes, he did. He beat D-Rod in his last fight, um, and he is just much more accomplished. You could actually, no, excuse me, in his last fight, he beat, well, he lost to Chemayev. Uh, excuse me, I'm talking about Gilbert. I'm talking about Gilbert. No, he didn't beat D-Rod. What are you talking about? Who did Neil Magny beat to get this fight? I thought it was Daniel Oh, Neil Henry. Magny. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, so I thought what you I'm saying Gilbert is, Burns. Is, look, I get matchup to matchup. Oh, was it Jeff Neal? No, it's D-Rod. All right. It's fucking D-Rod. What are you guys doing back there? Well, he's from, his dad's from Australia. Oh, I mean, yeah. to be fair, right? Yeah. Uh, the point I'm trying to make here is the last fight he had was Hamzat Chemayev, which, by the way, you could argue that Burns won. It's Absolutely. not in any way out of the realm of possibility. There's not whatsoever. enough truthers on that on that to be fair either. He clearly won the third round, and I think he won the, or maybe he, it was either the second or the third round he won quite cleanly. Um, but in any case, he lost, according to the judges, and he's back. He was looking for a fight against Jorge um, Masvidal, it didn't materialize, and so it brings us to this moment. Now, you're asking about Neil Magny. Neil Magny currently sits, by the way, with a record of 27 and 9, 35 years of age, so he's getting well, up look, there a little skill bit. Skill versus skill, Luke, you know, who's the better fighter here? We, we It's Gilbert, Gilbert coming by in. a million miles. But why are the odds that wide when, again, Magny's coming off a pretty good-ass win there against Danny Rodriguez? It's a good win. There were parts of the fight he was losing, and then he fought Rachmanov, and he got finished off in less than two. Now, Rachmanov is very special, but dude, on the ground, dude, Neil Magny is not bad on the ground. He's good on the ground. Gilbert Burns is really good on the ground. A world champion, quite literally a world champion at the black belt level in jiu-jitsu. He is just a completely different level than that. And I think that's a problem. But beyond that, Gilbert Burns, I, I, he did take some punishment in his last fight, but I don't think he's taken a ton overall. He always comes in excellent shape. We sat down with him, all the mental coach he has. His striking's gotten better. His ground and pound is good. His wrestling is better. He has seen and fought and defeated better opposition than Neil oh, Magny. And he's more than willing to go there with you. More and, than and, and he'll go to the deep. And by the way, only a three-round fight. It's yeah. not a five-round fight. That should be very easy for a guy like Gilbert Burns. So to me, man, like I, I wouldn't. Be super surprised maybe if Neil won, but this is a fight that, as best I can tell. That he took to stay active, right? Correct. And he should win this one. He yeah. should win this one. I mean, we're giving our picks away. But hey, are we asking too much of Glover at 43 to win this fight? No. If I if he had looked like ass in his last fight, I would have said yes. But he looked, he made some questionable calls to fight out a certain kind of fight. But he looked fine. It wasn't fear because when a guy gets to a certain level and at 43, he's at that level where overnight you can get really – overnight it can go, Luke. It really can. Yes. Okay, there are other factors in that play in. the fight game, yes. Um, so sometimes you look back at a veteran's run before it, it went and they have that that one fight where they poured out the jug, right? They poured out everything that was left. Yes. He didn't. He only got subbed in the fifth round because he literally poured out everything that was left. That's the only way you're going to sub Gilbert – or not Gilbert. It's the only way you're going to sub Glover in a fight like that. Yes. And it happened. Should we be like a little bit more fearful entering into this that like maybe that was the case? That he has that there's too many miles on him at this point? That he that that there's a you know there's that potential that we'll look back and say okay he he got old overnight in that fight cuz he used everything yes, deep inside yes. to try to And by the way that way also could be like, here's the problem like the answer could be no but because Jamal Hill has such fast hands and he's powerful he could knock him out in which case at that point the previous fight plus this one together could combine to then really put him over the top in terms of being old. So there are ways where it could, it could certainly look that way. But all right, moving down the card, we see another great fight. This one's amazing. Jessica Andrade is going to take on Lauren Murphy. This will be a flyweight fight. Now, here's what the funny part about that. 
So the uh, Andrade started her UFC career, I believe, at bantamweight. Then she moves down to strawweight. Uh, I think that's right. Or maybe she was a flyweight. Can't remember. No, what, I think she was a bantamweight. There was weight. no flyweight. She went from bantamweight down to, to strawweight, weight. became the champion. Then she moved to flyweight against Caitlin Shukagan, which she won. Body she, shot KO. She, she lost the flyweight fight against Shevchenko. Then she fought Cynthia Calvillo after that and then returned to strawweight against Amanda Lemos. Now she's back at yeah, flyweight. Yeah, it's been weird because the, the Lemos one gave you the feeling like, okay, she's going to go and make another run at strawweight. And I think even though that division's obviously always deep and I love it, there, there was a potential path, especially as a former champion, to get back to that point. How about a trilogy with Rose? I mean, there were, there were potential possibilities down that line. But uh, now she's going back to strawweight. So, Luke, strawweight's got more... I'm sorry, now, now back to Flyweight. Flyweight's got more contenders now than, than, you know, we could say six months ago or a year ago. I mean, Tatiana Suarez is back. Like, business is picking up. When you fight Lauren Murphy, who is also coming off a very good win at age 39 when she beat Misha Tate, um, a win like this puts you right back into that conversation. But now that the, it's it's a crowded house there, is this actually the potential quickest path to a title for Andrade? Like, are, like how do you justify this decision to take this fight? Because it was the best one offered to her or what? Yeah, I, the question is always what's, who, what was offered to her and who said no, right? It could be that a lot of people at Strawway were like, yeah, fuck no, we're not taking those fights. And so she didn't have much of a choice and she had to do what she had to do. So if you look at the rankings, let me see here. Andrade sits at fourth in the rankings at Strawweight. At flyweight, she sits at six. So you might say, and she beat Lemo, she was sitting at third, by the yeah. way. So the only names in front of her are Rose, and then Carla, and then Zhang Wai Li. It might be the case that the UFC was like, we're just not interested in pushing you back in another set of fights that you've already had before. I mean, I guess she could fight. As I guess they're done with putting Rose in a trilogy, because there's a lot of trilogies you can make with yeah, her. Yeah, and so I guess they decided, even though you already fought Valentina once and lost, maybe if you beat Lauren Murphy, we can, there's, uh, who's above her? Alexa Grasso, Caitlin Chikagin, who she already fought. Tyler Santos, I guess yeah. you could do that. And then Manon Fiorella. Field's coming on, yeah. So there's a few more fresh matchups at 125. I'm guessing at 115, either UFC or the other competitors are like, yeah, no, we're not. We're done. It's interesting, because this is not an easy fight. I mean, Lauren Murphy is still, even at 39, that top of the line one you've got to beat because she can, control. you know, she, she's, she'll compete. She can control and win close fights. Uh, She's got that skill to her, Luke. She plays the margins well. She's she, one of the most underrated fighters on the UFC roster, independent of gender or weight class. It's insane how underrated she uh, is. And, I mean, and, that, and that's that's actually why the performance against Valentina was so disappointing and kind of looked so naive. You know what I mean? Because that was such an uphill climb. But short of that level, although people have closed the gap on Valentina, Tyler Santos showed us that. Short of that level, though, Dude, Lauren Murphy's tough, and she just, you know, beat Misha Tate in a way she's that shut down all of Misha's. for the weight class. She's good jab. Yeah. She's, she's seen it all. She has been. She went four rounds with Shevchenko. Uh, she's come back from defeat. She's put long win streaks together. She's athletic. Uh, she's from Alaska. She is certainly older at 39. That is an older fighter. That's just the way that it goes. But um, I would say for she's about as young as you can be being 39, if that makes sense, which you still have to acknowledge 39 is not going to be as great as 25 athletically, but for 39, she is not quite in the same state that you might imagine someone else would be, be 39 and you sort of be decrepit. She's pretty far from that. So I actually feel like, what are the odds on this one? So the odds are, according to our friends here at Caesars, plus 380 for Lauren Murphy, Jessica Andrade, minus 475. Wow. I understand wow, that. Luke. I understand that because Lauren Murphy is very strong, but so is Jessica Andrade. Yes, absolutely. I would say Jessica Andrade probably has better one-punch power. Um, than what division La do you think she's better at? And Andrade is, you know, she was a good fighter at Bantamweight too. So what, what division do you think is the best of her? Is it is it Charlotte? 
She's so physically strong. She's strong so strong. Um, folks forget, dude, she was throwing people around at bantamweight. Like, I, that's a great question. Is she better at 115 or 125? The record would show probably 115 to this point, but maybe this effort is to see whether or not that's actually true. I mean, nobody the just— The jury's a little bit out on 125 for her. Right. I mean, nobody just dominates you, Jean, and she went in there and punched a hole in her stomach and got that win, but she was also so dominated by Valentina on the flip side of that for the title. I mean, putting a crucifix and beating, right, with elbows. Yeah. I mean, like, that was nasty. Uh and, you know, that that was back when Shevchenko would look at, you know, what's the one skill you bring to the table? I'll beat you at that. Yeah. I mean, she was just kind of having fun out there. But yes. that's why, dude, dude I, want, I need Valentina to come back soon because I want to see if the gap has closed. Like, is this John Jones at the end of his 205 run like, people are the catching up? The gap always closes. It does. It always closes. It always yeah. closes. And like you always say, no one, there's, who has the most tape in this division? It's Valentina. She fights, you know, three every three months on the dot. It feels and like. They even always go true. long. They always go long. So there's a ton of tape on her. Uh, again, I would really love for Lauren Murphy to win because. She's the kind of fighter who, you know, is probably never going to be the promoter's favored, uh, but just by hook or by crook, by sheer force of will. And, of course, she is a good athlete. Um, she can do pretty impressive things. BC, this will be a fun one to open the card. Paul Craig at plus 160, taking on Johnny Walker at minus 190. I saw a tweet from Jack Slack that I thought was really funny. He goes, just remember Johnny Walker left Brazil to move to Dublin to actually get better at MMA, which is Crazy when you think about it, but it is kind of what he is at least attempting to do. BC, we kind of know the score with Paul Craig, right? Yeah. Either it's going to be a submission on the ground or he's going to get washed. Right? Or he may get nearly washed and then he'll pull out the submission. Yes, right, exactly. He will accept damage on the ground to open you up. He like literally will take a punch. I love this fight. I love the contrast and style. I love the stakes for both fighters. You know, Craig Craig is coming off a loss, correct? Uh, let me double check. Uh, and, and Johnny Walker, who had that losing streak, is now coming off a big win in which he got a submission win. And, and finally, look, Johnny Walker finally looked like with John Kavanaugh that they're figuring it out and he's turning the corner last fight. Maybe. To, maybe. to a certain degree. Yeah, Paul Craig is most recently, I should say, coming off of the loss to Volkan Uzdemir right, by back decision. in July. And that was, that was disappointing because I, th I thought that was the fight where he was going to really show that he's a true title contender because he had put together a win streak, but that win streak had been, I don't want to say compromised by the, by the damage he seemed to take in each one, but it became a recurring theme. But, you know, he comes back here with a win over a name like Walker Luka. Uh, either way, either way, they're going to get a big boost from this. But how they intersect right now, which one's really coming and which one's really going, or does that not matter if this fight goes to the ground for all the improvements Johnny Walker may have made by making his ground game at least there? Oops, excuse me. The, the, is, it, is, the, is the the oven ready? Yeah, no, I guess so. Let me turn this down. Sorry, my sound. For all, all those changes, up. you my don't want to be on thing. the ground against Paul Craig in any form, Luke. No, you certainly do not. So uh, currently in the rankings, for whatever that is worth to some folks here, let me pull them up. In the rankings as it stands today, God, these things are all over the place. What the fuck is going on? Uh, okay, so as it stands today, Jamal Hill sitting at seven, Glover at two. That's who's fighting for the title. Damn. <laughs> That's crazy. Paul Craig is sitting at nine, and Johnny Walker sitting at 12. So for Johnny Walker, it's a shot into the top 10 again. Yeah. I think he was there, was there previously, uh, and then nearly out of the whole show, but now he's back. For Paul Craig, I, you know, he would drop out of the top 10, but he would still be in the top 15. It's not, it's not a majorly consequential bout either way in that sense for the division anyway. But let's, let's, let's be fair here. Uh, Johnny Walker to me, like Michelle Pedeta, like the fighters that I, I call them like recovering. Um, reco I don't know what the word would be. Punchaholics, Luke, people that just love to get into chaos. Right. And, yeah. it, and it's not always the Nico price. It's not always the best idea for them to do it. 
But as much as they're trying to change, inevitably they get lured in. As much as we don't want to see Paul Craig continue to welcome the, the thunder of big-time strikes in order to set up his submissions, isn't that a, a, an interesting game plan, though? Lure Johnny Walker into a, one of these high-flying circus things and then just try to try to reverse that into a submission and try to get him to the ground? Uh, it'll be as fun for as long as it lasts. But is that actually if you were if, if, if that's Paul Craig's direction? Uh, I think that's likely what is to happen. Whether or not that's a good idea remains very much to be okay. seen. He'll end up there no matter what is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it it is like okay, you're just asking like just think about it if you're punching someone on the feet right you're boxing what's one of the best times to to land a punch is when they throw you slip and then you go but the whole point is that they are open because they have extended right they right. are extended here so that now I am even if the shoulder is up I can still be hit on the top of the head or whatever that's the whole idea uh, it's the same with grappling you want to get them because everyone in grappling is going to be here right your elbows are going to be retracted to your ribs you want to get them open once it be, everything becomes open. That's when the submissions can happen. Yes. When the limbs get separated from the body, that's what you're looking for. On the mat, you want their elbows separated from their body. The more the elbows are separated from the body, the more you can isolate a limb and or take the back or everything else you want to do. So just think about it lo logically. If you're punching, your elbow is separated from your rib. So he just invites that shit yeah. to then lock up a submission. But that's a real fucking heavy tax you got to yeah. pay to get it done. You know? Do you think Johnny Walker uses his physicality enough? In certain in the, in the clinch in to the to gyrate and cavort on his way to the cage oh, in yeah. ways that oh, are he very that, at the prep point he shakes that package Luke I know it's like please fucking stop I mean you know if I want to go to an all male review <laughs> <laughs> you're like I have options if I want to do it's that like, right <laughs> it's like I've, I've I've seen the ads for Thunder down under I yeah. you know I'll let you know if I am interested uh, all right BC. Fucking A. Can we put this guy's career to bed? It's a legendary one. Oh, my God, dude. That's harsh as shit, right? Well, he just should have retired 15 years ago. I mean, what the fuck are we doing? Shogun Hua, who, <laughs> I mean, let me just say this. Like, what's his future, right? Like, he must have, and I'm just oh, being don't honest. Don't say it. Don't say it. He's probably, uh, dude, we, we can't have a conversation about how much brain trauma yeah, he's yeah, absorbed. Yeah, you can, you can, we can't. He probably has outrageous amounts of dude, CTE. Dude, everybody from Pride. I went back and watched Pride fights, Luke, recently. They were fucking brutal, bro. Dude, they are the, the cowboys of the Wild West have showed up, and there are no rules, dude. dude like, the Japanese is, and the aughts didn't give yeah. all fuck. Let me just I explain I mean, that it is you. just, you're right. Okay, so you're actually right. But holy shit, what a legend. 21-year pro career. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like... It, the his run, his run. The fact that he's not that far removed from like a four-fight winning streak in this division, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. ridiculous. And in all of those fights, he was completely relying on his chin to stay in it. Jesus, he's forty-one. I mean, if there was any guy I would have thought would have never made it to forty and still actively be fighting, it'd be Shogun. You know, when we talk about these great cowboys, and a lot of them are from Brazil, Vanderlei Silva, no Garrett, Big Nog, dude, Big Nog's chin—it's just fucking ridiculous. Dude, people don't even know about Big. But Nog's like, chin this has one. to show you how great. Shogun's chin actually is that he had a whole twilight that wasn't like two or three fights when he was old. I mean, was it like a decade? His twilight's been like a decade, Luke. Yeah. And even within that twilight, he's got a winning record and he's got like some actual impressive wins. And it's just like, but in all of those fights, he has taken a shit ton of damage to get to that point. It, um, I'm happy he gets to go out in Brazil in the featured, you know, prelim bout on on what ESPN regular? Uh, ABC. ABC. The, the, the prelims wow. are on ABC. That, that's not bad. Um, you know, I, I want to see him go out, Luke. On, on, in, in, but damn, dude. The dude, I just want to point out, when he made his UFC debut against Forrest Griffin in 2007, he kind of looked like shit. In the, in, and also, Forrest had a great night. Like, Forrest won that one fair and square. Like, they rematched and Forrest lost, but you get the idea. 
Um, I remember after that fight, people were saying Shogun was washed. <laughs> okay? That was almost 16 years ago. Dude, he almost took, 16 he years took ago. the worst title beating, sustained title beating I think I've ever seen against John Jones. That was a bad one. I mean, like he, you know, he that was, was a bad one. he was willing to go out on his sword, and and he did, but like, yeah, how about the, how about the fucking after? Okay, so he fight, fought John Jones, and he rematched Forrest and blew him out inside of a round. Then he had the fucking Dan Hendo fight, which to this day, one of the best brawls in MMA history. Like you put that one with the uh, Cyborg Santos versus Melvin Manhoof fight. You can pick uh, Griffin Bonner one, like the all of the best brawls. That one's on the Wait list. Lee Ioana. Huh? Whaley versus That's another Yawana. one. But that's less a brawl. That was just a really good yeah, fight. But I'm talking like an all-out fucking action. These two are like taking years off their life. So here's what's probably going to happen. He's probably going to lose this fight because the MMA gods are cruel. He's going to run for office because that's what they do now. By the way, if he does win this fight, he's probably not going to retire, right? Pro I don't know. I really hope he fucking retires. I mean, like he may just fuck around and show up in the PFL light heavyweight. Is he going right? to box some like fat soccer yeah, player from probably. Brazil? Like in some, I mean, I just don't even know. What the, he's going to run for office and then lose. And then, you know, all kinds of shit. Do like you think that. he'll harbor a, a politician on the run? <laughs> in his 750, 50K mansion in Orlando? He yeah. might. He might. People say we don't know shit about Florida real estate. Okay. That's I, cool. No, I, I clearly don't. Yeah. Well, Mikey was feeding us some information that people have have heavily debunked that, oh, is that, that right? in Orlando you can get stuff for under $100,000. Maybe like foreclosed properties that you want to flip. But, yeah, yeah. You know. But not like, not hey, like, this house is ready to have a family of three. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here, buy it for $67,000. Yeah, no, no, this no. is 1983. I mean, come on. I know. My dad's always like, I put myself through college by working in the summers. I'm like, well, dad, that'd require you to make about 40000 in the summers <laughs> these days. So that doesn't really work. But um, in any case. <laughs> Your dad's awesome. He is a salty dog, bro. Yeah. So, okay, so he has the war with Dan Henderson. Then he beats Brandon Vera on Fox. Then he loses to Gustafson, loses to Chael on the very first event that was on FS1, comes back and beats James Tahuna, fights Dan Hendo a second time, yeah, yeah. loses via KO, fights Ovin St. Prue, loses via KO. And that one was bad too, right? Right, but then he goes on a three-fight win streak. He beats Little Nog, Corey Anderson, who split decisions him. Then he just you know, punches the lights out of Jean Vellante, loses to Anthony Smith. That was a really bad one. He got yeah. viciously KO'd. Dude, no, he he got viciously hurt in all of the wins too. Dude, yeah. I'm telling you, he then just he took beat, heavy he beat Tyson Pedro. He had the decision against Paul Craig. Then he beats again via split Antonio uh, Little Dog. Oh, he had the no decision. Yeah. Then he taps to strikes against Paul Craig, and then he got split decisioned again by Ovin St. Preux, which brings us to Ihor Potieria, and just make it stop, please, is, is for Igor, the love of fucking. I'm just saying this right now. This fight should not be happening. I just I don't think it should be happening. Is Igor someone they're they're that they're big on and that they're he, building? Or he, is so he, he had a nice win on the Contender series, and then he fought Nikolai Nigamaranu, and he got his lights punched out. So I didn't know if he was like the European Chris Moutinho bringing in here. Again. No, 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 no. He's better than that. I mean, he won in the Contender series. Like he wasn't like a last minute guy they just brought in. I think they had certainly higher hopes for him than his debut went, but. I'll say this, like Shogun's career, if you've never, you know, if you're new to MMA or whatever, his run through the 2005 Pride Middleweight Grand Prix, again, Pride in Middleweight, that was their 205 division, essentially, they called it Middleweight. It's one of the most, it's probably the best tournament run in MMA history, um, almost Dude, without, almost without exception. I forgot what those Pride fights felt like. I just forgot what and he bulldozed like. everyone <laughs> in the most dramatic, dude, the way in which he dispatched with Rampage was remarkable, but that was truly BC. Oh, you know, we're talking, when did he make his pro debut? 2002. 2002. So, I mean, he made his pro debut in uh, basically November of 2002 after I graduated college, BC. He's still fighting. Look at me. 
Like, that's what I'm talking about. Well, like, this is fucking nuts. Looks, unfortunately, look at him, dude. I mean, to be fair, he's he's looked, know, he's he looked like be, a zombie used, since he was, like, 29. He used you know? to be handsome, and, you know, his face looks like a bit like a catcher's mitt these days. I mean, it's just a— it's Where's a Ninja Hua these days? He retired a long time ago. He retired a long time ago. Ninja was good for a time. He was never as good as his brother. Um, but there was a time when they were competing out Strike there. Force was, like, open season for brothers of famous people, right? Alexander Emelianenko was always showing up in those fights, too. In where? Strike Force. I don't think Alexander Emelianenko ever fought in Strike Force. Check it. I'm, I'm, you, better, I you better check yourself. Okay, let's look that up. Did Alexander Emelianenko ever fight in Strike Force? I am pretty sure the answer. On pins and needles here. Who wins this debate, Luke? I don't know. I, I think I think I'm right, but I, you know. All right. First of all, he's got Hep C or Hep B, whatever. Which one you? Oh, yeah. Uh, he fought in Pride a few times. Obviously, we know about that. Then he fought in M1. No, he has never fought in Strike Force. You're Damn. out of your fucking mind. Damn. Um. Yeah, he fought in Pride in a bunch of other places, but that's it. It was good for a time. Anyway. You're saying he's like Frank Stallone. <laughs> Frank Stallone plus communicable disease plus prison time. I think he did time for uh, maybe even rape in. in oh, oh. Uh, yeah, he's a terrible, he's a terrible Brett, person. Brett Rogers had a fault too, Luke. Uh, that's a sadder one. Yeah, that's a pretty sad that's one. That's a yeah. sad one where I was looking up his social media accounts. He'd stopped posting around 2016. He was looking for like bullshit fights for whatever he can get him. And then he was arrested for like I think exposing himself in like a, a library. A couple times, a couple separate yeah. separate incidents. Yeah. It's uh, you know, well at least the fight game takes care of its people, right? Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. Uh, I just want that fight to be over because I need him to retire because he's probably this is it is impossible to justify this bout on any kind of like it's fine by medical standards it's a disaster by medical standards but he's had a decorated career God bless him BC very quickly Robocop. Was supposed to fight Brad yeah. Tavares. That fell through. He's going to fight Bruno Fajera, who came off of a nice win from the Contender Series, which is stance a lot, big power, lunges into range. So that one probably is going to be a bit of a banger for as long as it lasts. Um, also in this card, Thiago Moises takes on Melchizedek Costa. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Uh, the Bomfim brothers, who both were on Contender Series, they're making their UFC debut on this card. That's Gabriel Bomfim taking on Munir Lazez, uh, as well as his brother, who is uh, is. Ishmael Bonfim taking on Terrence McKinney. He is Ooh, back. I like that fight. And he fights balls out. Like it's yeah. he's really shot out of a cannon from the word go there. Um, yeah, a couple interesting fights on also, that. Also, Jelton Almeida is going to go up to heavyweight and take on Shamil Abdurakimov is on this card. There's a ton of good fights. Oh, Varley Alves takes on Nicholas Dalby. There's I, my, Mikey says he was misquoted about the Orlando property prices. He says 300K. 300K? Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe. Again, I don't, I don't know Florida real estate, so... Um, but yeah, you Mikey always has receipts for me. His receipts though are like half right. Have you noticed that? No, I, I, Mikey's my, they're half. Mikey's right. my guy. All right. Uh, with that in mind, BC, let's go into topic number three, which is also your very favorite topic yes. because slap fighting. Nope. Not yet. Because very quickly we can just do, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, but yesterday Oscar de la Hoya tweeted, looked like everything is all systems go April 15th. Gervonta Davis taking on Ryan Garcia. Now, I don't think the final bout agreements have been signed, but BC, let's see if we can get a look at this tweet or this whatever. Yeah, Here we go. Look at how happy they are, first of all, which is good. And boy, is that a contrast to the tweets that that Oscar had been putting out in the previous days where he was trying to, like, threaten because there was no signed deal for it to fall apart. And then Steven Espinoza did uh, an interview with uh, Marcos Vie Viejas, the, uh, the journalist. Viegas. You could say Viegas. Viegas, the journalist. And he was like, look, that's normal practice when the— 
you know, final fight agreement doesn't get signed until the week of the fight, but all the important stuff has already been signed and agreed to. Well, whatever extra steps hadn't been done seemed to be done here from the Ryan Garcia standpoint. So uh, I said before Oscar posted this on my live chat, don't worry about it. Uh, Oscar doesn't have the control here, right? Because Ryan Garcia pushed back against Golden Boy and zone and was like, no, the, I need this fight for my legacy. I need it now under whatever terms that, you know, that it can happen. Even on Showtime pay-per-view, let's do it. So uh, there we are. But it's good to see, Luke, that uh, it, all systems seem to be a go. Um, well, how we, are you going to explain to your family that you have to attend. <laughs> I'm gonna be on vacation because you know when 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 you know that, that that's the perils of our game when when you want when you're trying to book that family. You always book it like two days before. I don't know how you live your life, Luke. Uh, well, I, talk, I so I looked up the calendar for it because now I have to book vacations on my kid's school calendar. Right, and, that, so and I'm, her, in that, I'm in that right now. So too. her spring break is the week after the fight. Okay, so my kid's spring break is that week. And of course, you know, we booked this vacation six, nine months, maybe a year ago, but- uh, Yeah, stop doing that. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta stop. You can't win. No matter, you, know, you put that date out and you're you're hoping, you're, it's like it's like watching the Plinko chip go tick tick, and you're like, yeah. no, no, go in that No, direction. I just lucked out too. It just worked out for my, I told my wife about it last night. And so she was- Okay, we know that, we know, we talked so much about this fight, Tank versus Ryan. Um, I. Uh, about, I don't have anything else to add to this. About, about you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot, and it's coming, Luke, and it's big. And it, What element of the fight, and it doesn't even have to be what happens in the ring, what part of this fight do you think, she, in, in your personal fandom, gets you the most excited? When I say Tank versus Ryan, probably going to happen April 15th, look at that picture of those two handsome men signing that contract. Like, what, what, what are you anticipating? To see what gives first. Tank's power or Ryan's – Ryan has power, but more so his speed. Yeah. Um, I just want to see what gives first. That's it. I think there are going to be moments of drama in this fight. Big time. Moments of gunslinging, both with the, with the, you know, both with the respective fist up, both getting close, both taking chances, punching with each other. I mean, you're going to see a duel here, and it's, uh, it's going to be wild, man. It's going to be wild. Uh, I don't know how big – it's going to be big, but I don't know how big. I want to see, you know, I want the full red carpet rolled out. I want the full media tour. I want to see this fight yeah. because it is rare to get the two guys in their 20s from opposite sides of the road who are both unbeaten. And one of them is, and Ryan Garcia, really not proven on that super elite level yet. And at the same time, dude. I got to say, is Tank really proven? At the same time, I was going to say, even though either. Tank's more proven, Tank kind of needs a fight like this too to shut up his critics or to just finally prove in the ring to anyone else who has doubts. Yeah, I'm not with you that Tank is Tank's not on my pound for pound list. I think he has to bite, fight better competition to get on that. Um, everyone's everyone's gonna have their own list, obviously, but this would be a nice, great start. Um, April fifteenth in Vegas, not official, official, but looks like. I mean, I gotta say, except for his court case coming up next month, uh, I don't know what would get in the way of it at this right. point, right? And we have. To, I mean, that's legit. There's something big there. There's a there's a hill they have to climb and and, and figure out. But uh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's All right. do it. Because so, we need a big year, Luke. We need a big year. There's a lot of major fights yes. that, that are coming. We just don't know if and when. It's like Also, like a good boxing main event, there's just nothing quite like it. you know. And it, I'm just, I'm, oh, boxing can't get out of its own way. Folks just never seem to connect the dots that the sport is made less fan-friendly. And I know this is going to sound crazy because relative to MMA, the architecture is more ethical. That sounds insane, but right. one of them has federal protection. One of them does right. not. And that changes the industry. But- to the point, you want guys to step up to make up that difference. It seems like both of them have stepped up. Fingers crossed. I mean, it's not more ethical no. than MMA in the way things are done. It's just such no, a the different business, setup. The, the arrangement 
distributes power more evenly. Yes. Doesn't distribute it evenly, evenly, relatively And there's a pretty evenly. steady run of either corruption or the hints of it around every corner, just the same, but it's just that. When I say ethical, I don't mean everything in the sport. Yeah. I mean the way in which power is shared. It's That's interesting. It. It's interesting. All right. Topic number four, we get some UFC 286 fight announcements. BC, I'll go through these because they sound pretty good. And what it, is 286? What's the date and city? Do you have that? Uh, I'll pull that up. 286 here. 286 is going to be, let's see, that will be Saturday, March 18th. Okay. So not the John Jones card, which is which is 285. Yes. This will be just two day, two weeks later, by the way. Um, it'll be at the O2 Arena in London, England. So we're getting two pay-per-views in March, which is not unheard of, but somewhat rare these days. All right, BC, uh, what they've added, of course, uh, let's see. Leon Edwards versus Kamar Usman is supposed to take place on this Part card. Part three, the trilogy. Right. We've talked about this a little bit. Raphael Faziv taking on Justin Gaethje, which should be your co-main event. <laughs> I love that fight. Yeah, confirmed for the co-main event, which is just, I mean... <laughs> I don't know what on earth could you could hate about that fight. Yeah. I really, really don't. Now, they added Muhammad Mokayev taking on Jalel Filio, uh, or Jafel Filio. Mokayev, um, by the way, tweeting that don't use crypto.com because they'll rob you. That is... Uh, <laughs> Wait, you're saying this whole crypto boom wasn't on the up and up? <laughs> yeah. Turns out it was for morons and fraudsters. Uh, who knew, you know? Yeah. Isn't Logan Paul of crypto issues? Apparently he had some big crypto issues. Some dude named Coffeezilla blew him up. I, uh, but I think he's trying to resolve it now. I think it, I, I'm not. I, I stopped following, but I saw that he yeah. tried to make amends or something. You anyway. watch that guy Pierogi that goes after the scammers, the scam call for people. Pierogi? I don't think so. Oh, that guy's interesting to watch too. He no. just he makes those scam callers cry. But anyway, he was like, "Don't use it." That's the UFC, the, the crypto sponsor that's on all the fighter kits. That's like their sponsor. I was like, "Well, you don't see that too often." Uh, but also on this card, Roman Delizze taking on Marvin Vittori. Dude, sick. that's a sick fight. And that fight sick. matters. Like, I mean, we know Day's coming on. He could have very well have won this hammer. Look, you know that last month. Oh, yeah. But, um, he was in contention. This is the fight, in my opinion, that the, that the UFC is saying, okay, are you, are you, are you ready for this? Yes. Are you part of this club? Yes. Beat this guy right now. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Because Vittori's lost twice to Izzy, lost to, it, uh, to Whitaker. But, like, I think he's got maybe something else going on there. But in general, he beats just about everybody else. So if Delize beats him... Ooh, you got a, you I, got a new a top contender. I saw on Cheyenne Vlismus's Instagram account that Did you? that they that she's in Thailand right now, so maybe there's a connection there. With, yeah, uh, you know. Did hey, you have your pants hey, around your ankles? Hey, fuck it anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that's no, where they were. That's that's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Phuket. Phuket. There you yeah. go. Everyone, fuck it. I, is it really pronounced Phuket? It's Phuket. Oh, I thought it was actually pronounced no, like like pronounced the swear, which, yeah. which made it an easy transition into yeah. the joke. But now I sound like a there's real. There's also an island called PP Island, which is P H I P H I. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's not I mean, P-E-P-E -E is Pepe, where I come Pepe. from, but... Pepe actually has an accent on the second E, so it's Pepe. Pepe. Is, it Pepe. is Pepe in the States right now? Pepe is not. Pepe's in Colombia. Just, just. Just working for the pipe fitters union, Luke, right now? <laughs> just, just. More or less. Right. More or less. All right. Uh, Do you think we could ever get him on like a room, like not no. an official room service diaries, but like the old school way where we just talk, talk game? No, and, no, no, no. And we, I wouldn't let it. I we wouldn't. can regale him with stories of manhood. What if we put it on our Only Pipes Patreon? Only Pipes, fine. All right. All right. Uh, Gunnar Nelson versus Daniel Rodriguez, which we've talked about. Love Luana it. Carolina taking on Joanne Wood. That's a fun fight. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Jennifer Maya taking on Casey O'Neill. Yeah, love that. That's hey, a great fight. Casey's good. Isn't she coming off in a big injury? Or did I make that up? It's possible. I think that's right. She also got a good tattoo recently. Uh, and then Larone Murphy taking on Nathaniel Wood, which is a good one. Veronica Macedo is back, taking on Juliana Miller. Dan Hardy's other half, right? 
Yep. That's correct. a but Keller Miller, dude. This is this her official UFC debut after having that big contender series. I believe win? that's correct. And okay, then, this is a good fight. Yep. Right. And then Jai Herbert taking on Ludovic Klein, which actually should be a good action fight. Yeah. So that's gonna be. By the way, the two pay per views in the same month. If one of them is John and the other one is the trilogy between Kamaru, obviously the, the trilogy is a bigger fight, but it won't do as well as the box office. But I have to say, like, fans will have to make whatever choices make sense for their budget and their interests. I wouldn't knock the UFC. I would rather they space them out. Yeah. But you couldn't actually complain they were offering you oh, shit. Dude, this is that's gonna be a great month. That's right. gonna be a great month yeah. as a fan. I mean, you know, as a journalist, I mean that's what you want at the end of the day. Um Look, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't transition out of the MMA power couples talk. You know, we brought up, uh, you know. Let's wrap the show up. Hardy and, and Veronica there. Um, I'm told that Brian Ortega and Tracy Cortez have removed the images of each other from their Instagram. Yeah. I didn't check. I can't. Be still my heart. I can't. Uh, I can't confirm. I don't know what that means. Are, are you moved at all by that? I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Not a single solitary one. I wonder if this is going to make um, uh, T-City like... I wonder if he goes on a renaissance run or if this makes it harder based on his career off of this, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Because emotions play into this. They do, right? yeah. And, you know, people tend to write their best uh, album when they're coming off of a breakup, you know? Did you hear that Shakira diss track on PK? No, I didn't. No? Is Who's PK? Her ex-man? You don't know who PK is? Was that the equivalent of when you ask the 20-something people that, that are, are work on our periphery, you're like, who are the four Beatles? Or, you know, who... A little bit, a little bit. I mean, racist uh, Big L here. No, he he's not racist. He that's a guy who... Sorry, he's Joe, not racist. That's a guy who watches, re-racked behind the yeah, camera. Yeah, he just watches very racist soccer. Uh, okay. He's not, but he's not racist himself. He's a big Siri A fan? Yes, yeah, Siri A fan. Uh, she put out a diss track with this other dude named Bizarre Rap. I'm, I'm saying it like a gringo, but that's how you would say it. Uh, where PK was one of the very best players ever in Barcelona history, and uh, she married him. They moved to Spain and blah blah blah. They have kids together, and then they broke up because he's with some new chick who is like twenty something, you know. Yeah. And so she put out a diss track on him. And uh, I'm not in these these uh, celebrity news circles like you are. Las mujeres no lloran. Las mujeres facturan. I'm in more of like the MMA couple IG. Circuit that you know yeah. the Reddit circuit that those are the circuits I'm in. You haven't heard you haven't heard the diss track. We'll play the diss track after the show. No, I, I haven't. It's heard all it. in Spanish. So I you're haven't gonna actually be listened to it. a di- diss track since Hit 'Em Up, Luke. All right. Well, not, I mean that's uh, that set the standard for just cruelty. But yeah. uh, okay, uh, quick hitters. Let's do some quick hitters here, BC. Porcino XL got called out in that one too. You know? Yeah, sure, sure did. Uh, okay, BC. Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. Ariel Hawani reporting it's done for February 25th. I'm gonna guess it takes place in the UK. Can I just say this? I will say this. Jake Paul earned my respect a little bit, and not a little bit, like a fair amount, um, because, dude, he beat Anderson Silva, and I saw how much better he got. I actually did the tape study on him, and I saw all the things I was looking for in that, the, the, the fight with, with Silva that, in terms of mistakes that just weren't there. Of course, he's not a world-class boxer, not even close, but just in terms of getting better, he, he, he won that fight cleanly, and, like, I was impressed. I was genuinely impressed. Um, but I don't care about this fight. Can I just be honest about that? I'm not going to hate on him. It, I'm not, not going to shit on Jake Paul. Okay. I'm not going to go hating on him. I get it for himself. You're just asking me my level of interest. Is, I want to ask you this. Is it because Jake had been on an escalation of more tougher competition and there's this feeling that Tommy is not up to that level and that this is more of a you know, circus-type fight when he had been getting tougher matchup each time out? I just is it think because of that, or do you just— not into the Fury storyline. Um, I just don't like. How much of a chance do you really give Fury to beat him, dude? 
Not from a good what one. I've seen, not good. Not good, right? Like Anderson, I would have thought would have had a better chance than Tommy Fury. Um, I think Dan Rayfield did some reporting that that this fight could be on like either DAZN or ESPN. Like there's interest all around. Yeah, and, and like, dude, again, Jake Paul. I we covered him a bunch on Showtime. Um, you know, if he's back at Showtime at some point, great. It's just for this one, it doesn't do a lot for me. That's all. Um, which isn't to say that the second Woodley fight did a lot for me either, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and, I, you know, some people don't want to see Jake Paul at all. But The ending was fine on the second Yeah, it was, the ending was insane. But yeah. in general, like, I'm not going to – people want to hate on Jake Paul. I think he's earned enough of a respect for us to be quiet about the more, like, obvious stuff you could let go. But that doesn't mean we have to love every fight that he makes. Um, I think it's pretty far from it. All right, Jeff Molina. God, Jeff Molina appears to be in trouble. Jeff Molina was suspended on December 15th provisionally by the Nevada Athletic Commission. And it turns out, uh, according to them, he's going to remain on suspension as the investigation continues. The Nevada Deputy Attorney General, Joel Becker, told a commission during a hearing, quote, evidence has come to light leading to allegations about respondent Jeff Molina being involved in some substantial way in the gaming scheme currently uh, under ongoing investigation related to James Krause, end quote. So Molina will remain on temporary suspension pending a full disciplinary hearing as the ongoing investigation to Krause continues. Um, they're going to be honored, of course, by other athletic commissions, so he's not going to be able to go anywhere else. BC, Jeff Molina appears to be in deep fucking shit. Dude, anybody that that played a, played a hand in there, again, even if what they did is quasi-illegal or maybe not fully, is going to get hammered out. But it seems, based on this report, that his, his involvement does go deeper. And Luke, I, I don't know. Still from the facts that we know, I don't know if this— this went to the left. Like, it's already illegal and in, in, in below board that, that I mean, Cross admitted. Allegedly. On, Cross ad, but Cross admitted on the aerial show that he's betting on fights that he's coaching. So we're already in a dicey situation yeah. just to begin with. Yeah. So I already know that we're in an illegal space. But again, I think there's still an unknown of whether all of these guys were part of something much deeper, which goes into fight fixing. I mean, look, it's already deep enough if we fear that the Minner fight, I mean, that is fight fixing, the things that we fear about the Minner fight, right? So that's already right there. That's already right there, Luke. They got to clean this up, and whoever has, again, a sniff of connection to this is is going to get nailed. And, and um, I mean, it's it's hard to argue against why they shouldn't, Luke, right? Has, I, I, our producer's asking us, is it, have they released him? I don't think he's been released by UFC yet, has he? I believe he has, yes. Well, he has? Yes. Um, I mean, I see those emails. Yeah, he, yeah well, that's right. UFC. That was recent. Sorry, my apologies. Yes, you're right. Uh, TJ also on that list of recent UFC. Rock, well, he retired. Rock. It's a little yeah, bit different. Yeah. But uh, okay, uh, BC, <laughs> set this one up since this was the one you found. I guess tonight is the launch of the Slapdick League. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Set this video up, please. I, I, I'm trying to look. I, do you know what show he was on here? I don't there, care. there was an. I, I don't I, care. I don't know, but you can judge on on what you see. But Dana did a media tour. Yesterday, ahead of what is supposedly tonight's launch of the uh, combat slap. What, what is the official name? I know we joke around. Power, Dana White's Power Slap Dana League. White's Power Slap so I, I just want to point out, like, in the title is White Power, and also this guy just got caught on video hitting his wife. And so he's showing up, and we're going to throw this <laughs> video in a second, but he's got the title belt around his waist. And what Luke just said, I mean, and Luke, it just— 
to be fair here, the, the, the bad karma couldn't be any worse because that video that went viral in the last 48 hours from a slap competition wasn't even his promotion where the guy's face is just grossly deformed on the side. No, that was not him. It took place in Las Vegas, competing, but it was not him. But that, that's like the worst possible time that that could drop in right now yes. after the, the New Year's Eve incident, which is also the worst possible way you can transition into promoting this. But... There's going to be a lot of people criticizing this league. SI just wrote a, a, a very John detailed, uh, the famous John you know, Werner. editorial against why this is such a ridiculously bad look for the company. And here's Dana talking about not that criticism particularly, but just in general. I see a lot of people talking about the health of the fighters, and you know that's like a big issue for a lot of people. They're not right. understanding. They think that they're just standing there, defenseless, getting hit in the head. And there's a lot of technique to this because we spend the money to make sure that we have two healthy people in there, the proper medical attention during and after the fight. These are all the things that we need to educate people on, just like we needed to edu educate people on mixed martial arts. Right. But in slap, they take three to five slaps per, per event. Fighters in boxing take three to 400 punches a fight. And guess what, you know what my, my, my answer to that is? If you don't fucking like it, don't watch it. Yeah, don't fucking watch it. Exactly, nobody's asking you to watch this. You just, oh, you're disgusted by it? Watch The Voice. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't tempt me. So don't, uh, don't, don't tempt me. I retweeted that, and everybody had the same choke, which is great, which is challenge accepted. I mean, dude, like, this is the worst possible look in the in the can area. I, can of, I just say okay, something? Okay, no, no, if no you, I, I'm trying like, to say something. I'm trying to say something. Okay, but if you like power slap, if you like any kind of slap leak, your taste in anything is shit. Yes. Okay. Uh, for, I think that goes without saying. Like, separate from this, the New Year's Eve domestic violence part of it. Take that completely out of this, and I would hope we would have the same level of outrage for this. It's the worst. First of all, it's the, it's the lowest hanging fruit common denominator sport you could do. It's also the worst freaking look for the the bosses of an organization that that's focus should be on preventing trauma. And obviously, Dana could say, well, boxing or UFC fights, there's more total head trauma. But you also can block it and use defense and move around it. So this is like the lowest possible on that. Um, I think he has actually done enough to dissuade people. It, you know, he's going to, if this thing blows up and fails, which it probably will, to be very fair. Um, and I don't care either way. Also, to be very fair, as much as I'm here to tell you, it's just, it's just the worst look possible. But I think Dana has done enough ne accidental negative publicity in his own right leading up to this that that will seal the deal itself. I mean, he's saying, if you don't like it, don't fucking watch it. No one's telling you to. You're actually on a press tour telling everybody to watch. Like, yeah. that's the point also, of this. Also, I can't watch your other product the, the MMA product, the actually very good one, without having to be bombarded with this bullshit. So believe me, if I could not watch it in any capacity whatsoever, I would love to. You won't let me. You won't let me. Um, and, you know, and to, to say if you don't, I mean, that, how, how does TBS like that, Luke? When, when the, guy, the guy who's run it just told everybody, just told him to F off, basically. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Okay, I, I have a feeling people won't lose. He's been saying that a long time in I, relation to uh, oversaturation concerns. But I, I know we're in cancel culture, and I know there are gray areas in the larger conversations Stop with here. That bullshit. We're not. Okay, I know what all that. What cancel culture came okay, from data? I, look, I'm trying, to, <laughs> I, I'm trying to see both sides here. But even within that frame, how the fuck in 2023 
weeks removed from that incident is this thing going live on a national on like a national television level. How like what the hell it like is I wrong? I will say with this: this the one thing that separates this, like if you look at his other failures that Dana White has had, like the Fighters, which was the boxing reality show that Discovery aired one episode, and they were like, "Yeah, thanks, no thanks." And I like that. It was in a Boston gym. They told story. It was like the Contender. I didn't. When I like say that it was a failure, believe me. Number one, I've had plenty of failures, b- b- smaller scale than his, by virtue of the my highs being smaller scale as well. But um, there was nothing wrong with the show. The show was fine, you know. But this is the first one to me, BC, where they really intertwined the UFC brand, not just as a halo for promotion yes. during UFC events, but the architecture. They're at the apex. They wear kits. Um, they have a, a, a belt. You saw him wear the belt there. Like they borrowed the athletic justification through the through the commission. They borrowed the architecture in terms of champions, in terms of contenders, in terms of setups, in terms of the way that it looked. It borrows from the UFC product in terms of imagery and everything else. They decided, well, the UFC is a winning thing. Let's just substitute MMA for power slap and see if it works. And it might. I remain agnostic. I don't know. There are enough fucking dullards in the world where they will watch stupid shit like this. There's a higher amount of UFC fighters than I thought. Either whether they're doing it just to look good, they're doing the it because they all have Stockholm syndrome. If the rules were different, they wouldn't be doing any of this dumb shit. Please. Um, here's what I want to say serious. though. Um, I mean, we've seen it before with Vince McMahon in the early iteration of the XFL, which I know had good ideas and it changed a lot of ideas. But let's okay, let's go back. Vince McMahon, the World Bodybuilding Federation. So you get my point. Somebody who gets so rich and has so much success can be blinded and can do something that is ill-advised for many different reasons. But. Here's Dana's biggest mistake, I thought, of what to do with all this success and extra money. Dana was obviously way too naive when he formed the idea of Zufa boxing right around the time that that they joined with Connor to do the crossover boxing fight with with Mayweather uh, because he thought he'd just walk right into the boxing business and everybody would be waiting open arms and he could just play a giant role for whatever role he wanted to play. Are you a promoter? Are you going to be your own network on the fight pass? Like, what are you going to bring to boxing? And he just thought it would be automatic like that and nobody would would provide any resistance in what is already a just disjointed business structure with its own set of cowboys and boxing. Boxing is the wild freaking West. Apparently so is MMA. It's just there's more organization and structure and stability. There's more with, monopoly. There's, a, there's a more monopoly too. So... It was Dana's biggest error, error, in my opinion, that he was ill-advised to what the true nature of the boxing industry and business was and how he might leverage what was happening to use that. But his, but I now realize Dana's actual biggest mistake in that area was just giving up and closing down Zufa Boxing and then taking that same energy, money, and process and putting it into the slap league. What the slap league should actually be? Zufa Boxing and a home... For all of your fighters who, I get that the feeling of feeling like they're underpaid, so when their MMA career is over, they just want to use whatever's left in the tank to try to cash in in boxing, and I get the reason why they're able to cash in is because they're going to other suitors who are more than happy to bring them in. But shouldn't this be instead Zufa Boxing, where Francis Ngannou could conceivably fight an active, real boxer, you know, under your window, or Jake Paul could conceivably cross over and fight Nate Diaz or someone like that, if you or, or Connor, if you were willing to partner with him and do something like that, or just a regular home for the Jose Aldos and all these retired fighters who go, I know I got a little bit left in the tank, and damn, boxing was always my dream and the reason why I got into mixed martial arts, which is also for Dana, the same path. Wouldn't Zufo Boxing as as a almost senior league right now? be the perfect second thing he should be launching. And and he could just say, because Dana's a huge boxing fan and no one's questioning that, but he, but him and the Fertitas used their love for boxing and their 
sadness that it was so unstructured and going in the wrong direction business-wise to then fix all of those mistakes under the control they have with UFC and a perfect storm creation happened to give them all of that control and they stayed out and waited out the storm and they are where they are. But it was all built on the idea that we love boxing so much, but it's broken so we can change it. Why couldn't he just launch Zufa Boxing, changed any sort of rules that, that would best him in his Dude. own interest, and then give his own fighters a chance to continue to make money because as soon as they retire or get cut, that's all they want to do anyway. Yeah. Why doesn't he want to prove that his own MMA business model is a bad idea to fighters who can get around it? I mean, it, you, you can see why. The reason why they went with Power Slap as opposed to Zufa Boxing is because that is very much unregulated. Right in terms of the the participant space and what the independent contractors there can do, it's the same with MMA. Like, why didn't he go into boxing again? Boxing has it's, you call it the Wild West, and it is in many ways. But relative to Power Slap, you have institutional powers and you have federal regulation governing those powers. Power Slap is the exact opposite. It has none of those protections. It has none of those best practices. It has none of those uh, uh, regulation or or institutions to protect them. It has none of those things. That's why the MMA consolidation happened. They wanted to do the exact same thing with something they think they can be as burgeoning. It's all a function of we can actually uh, monopolize this other industry or take, you know, significant chunks of it. We couldn't in boxing, so we just want to do that. I mean, it's the same shit. It's like, do, do I imagine that him and Nikisa are suddenly going to sit down and co-work together and co promoters? No, but they would have the same access to all those big-name NBA and NFL retired players who are in the same spot, still have something left to give and something competitive. They don't want to share... They don't want to share revenue and then show that like their other business model is the problem. Like the, by doing that, they don't want to do that. Um, Wouldn't you think there's a there's a window here for the Zufa boxing it, could with, work? A, with a with a if Scott Coker and yeah, I think Coker's got his strengths and like like any promoter, Bob Arum, Coker, some got their strengths, some got their weaknesses. One of the greater strengths, I would argue, of Coker's model is that. Um, you could also answer your weakness because how much for, of how much he gave to M1 during the Fedor days, which we'll talk about right. uh, a little bit later. But in general, what I would say is he would be much more open to that kind of participatory thing if he had those resources. I think you'd see that. But the UFC wants to control it in a very specific certain way. And but this would give them more control. They could say a lot. You know, there's there's a new trend. Of they would actually. I mean, you could. But then, okay, so would they pay the exact same that they would get on the open market? Let's assume that they would not. Why would they anyone want to participate in that? Because they'd have to give a middle ground amount of money to make it worth it, right? I don't think they want to deal with a sport where they have federal protections. I just don't. I don't. Yeah, that's but why they, they, that's why they, they lobby could. actively against them on Capitol Hill, quite that's literally. A, that's, no, that's, that's quite a literally. Fair, that's a fair – that's probably the Connor argument. That's yeah. not even a joke. That's an yeah. actual thing that happens all the time. All right, BC, we're going to call it so, a day oh, there. So, so you said – look, I'm, I'm not ragging on you, but you did say that you stood for certain principles and you wouldn't watch the World Cup. You ended up watching it. I'm not judging you. The main, not, I watched the, the, the final. I'm yeah. not judging. Yeah. I don't even care really. But are you going to at least try to watch the slapdick bullshit? No. No, I didn't have less than zero interest. The less I see of that, the better. Seriously. Do you have it, any predictions? I don't. Failure is what I hope. My, I mean, I don't. I don't. It's it, it, utterly irrelevant to my life. How much will this fuel Dana blaming the MMA media for the rest of our lives that we ruined slap comedy? Probably. I mean, he'll, it, it, blaming the MMA media is the last refuge of everyone. Hey, by, the way, by the way, two great hours, man. We just gave Yeah, it. and also, like, this idea around slap, like, uh, oh, it's safer than boxing. Bull fucking shit. Like, this is the other thing, too. It's like, dude, Dana White has on the record admitted, like, uh, for example, I, say, I bring this up all the time, when they had to sub in Rich Franklin for Tito in the Ultimate Fighter, Dana White was called out for lying on the record, like in an actual interview, and then was like, tough, so what? Go fuck yourself. It's like, well, dude, there's a cost to that, right? Like, if you admit you lied on the record, you, 
you, this changes things between us. You are no longer entitled to the benefit of the doubt. And how he characterized the negotiations with Francis. And again, who really knows in that case? But like Dana White has, I'm not in any way exaggerating this. He has admitted lying on the record. Why on earth would anyone take whatever he says, not to say it's false, but to take it at face value? Anything he says, literally anything, must be double checked. Dude, I, must be double checked. I'm not. I'm not usually into this, you know, checks and balances and keeping score. But in that Ariel interview, every single thing Ariel presented that Dana said this particularly negative against you. Did this happen? Francis calmly. Debunk. That was, you know, the whole well, idea that he... That's a he said, she said. Who's No, to say, but it's but. all petty stuff that Dana used in that press conference announcing that Francis was leaving to paint a picture that right. he's overweight, of, you know, all this stuff here. You got, like, I'm just saying, like, well, Dana said this. I'm like, dude, that means nothing But, dude, think me. of that how... That means absolutely nothing. You talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Think of how long it has been okay within this sport, the UFC, the biggest brand in all of mixed martial arts and probably all of combat sports. It's been okay in regular practice for the promoter to shit on fighters when they are not willing to play the role business-wise that he just expects them to play, yeah. that turns into just a public smear campaign. That's a And by the way, and then, and then people turn that into like, like, oh, look how great they are as business executives. Dude, that's a regular practice. Now, it's not that that hasn't happened in boxing. We've seen famous yeah, feuds. I was about to say, it definitely We've seen Bernard Hopkins against Lou DiBello. We've seen Bob Arum against different fighters, but it, the business always comes back around and people work together. Dana feels like he's taking these to the grave, Luke. Like, who's on his, you remember Steve Buscemi's wall in Billy Madison? Yes. Who's on that for Dana? It's like he's got a list of people that that he'll just he'll never forgive. Unfortunately, yeah. Josh Gross too. Yep, um, probably us at this point as well. All right, BC, let's wrap it up here. So I want to remind everyone we're back Friday. You think he has a picture of why am I falls on there as well? <laughs> Uh, we're back Friday. We will do some picks on Friday. We'll have some fun with it. We'll do some fan subs on Friday. We'll do some dead wrongs on Friday. It'll be a good old fun show. So uh, if you want to email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. That's the place to do it. Yeah, we, we didn't do shit this week. Have you seen it? We'll do it next week. We'll do all that stuff, yeah. fun stuff. Uh, then on, let's see. I want to remind folks, pod-live.com, February 8th, we're going to be in the UK. Come see if uh, come see us. If you haven't got your tickets yet, please go get them. And we're not doing a bit. The tickets are running They're moving. down to a, They're to moving. a handful left. Like, like, we're Please come see us. Like again, I'm not doing a bit here. Like we we have limited seating and limited opportunity in general. How many times we're going to be in the UK? Please come see us. This is it. Uh, as well as Showtime.com, 30 day free trial if you'd like it. You can keep it if not. And then of course, if you actually take the plunge, you can get your first six months for 3.99 a month thereafter. And then of course, MorningCombat.store. NBC the- Friday Night Showbox, the new generation. We're back. Bethlehem PA. Okay. Come see him on Friday night. Go check out his live chat if you haven't seen it already. That was out yesterday. You can go give that a look. Uh, tons of fun stuff. All right, so we got to get out of here. We have a busy day ahead of us. So thank you so much for watching. That's BC. I'm LT. This has been MK. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.